What's up, everyone, and welcome to Mostly Film, your one-stop chaotic shop for all things in the world of film. You know you like what you're hearing, so make sure you never miss an episode and subscribe. And while you're there, leave us a nice little review, something real nice. I am one of your hosts, Jonathan McCorder, joined by my illustrious co-host, J.P. Payton. Oh, so happy right now. That we have a it little... It only took 20 episodes. 20 episodes. This is the 20th episode, and we have brought to you a little intro. It may change. It may be tweaked. But there it is. It so, most likely will be tweaked. Yeah, but that's not, that's oh, not bad. Good. We just yeah, wrote it like perfect. right before we yeah. went on the air. <laughs> so it's it's not it's not bad. Let us know what you think. You know, I said, you know, subscribe and leave us a nice little review. Emphasis on the nice. You know, if, if you're going to shit on us, you know, any interaction is a good interaction. Why don't you test, take the Seth Rogen take and just don't. If you're going to say something mean, don't tell us. Yeah. Yeah, or just <laughs> directed at JP. No, not me. <laughs> My ego's so fragile, we know. Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, today's our 20th episode, and we are here to talk about Terry Gilliam in review, for starters. Yeah. We're talking about The Adventures of Baron Munchausen and The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. Our ninth and tenth movies. Of Terry Gilliam. And yeah. I'm very excited, me and JP, normally, before Tuesday's episode, we sit and talk about Terry Gilliam a little bit. Yeah. Didn't do that Tuesday, and I didn't do that before today's episode either, because I want to just unadulterated hear where you are with Terry Gilliam. So I'm excited to talk about that, and we also are talking about our reactions to the Oscars that happened on uh, Sunday night. Yeah. Uh, we've had some time to think about it. We've had some time to really grasp and process everything that happened, for better or for worse. And honestly, my takes are still pretty hot. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not thrilled with some things, uh, and I think some there were some. Some choices made. Yeah. Uh, and then some of the discourse that's happened since has been a little upsetting too. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about that. We're also going to uh, start a ongoing kind of drafting process for this next year. Uh, we have a little over 20 pictures that we think maybe uh, get a nod for best picture in the 2023-2024 uh, 96 Oscars. So yeah. we're going to draft out of those and uh, come time we're going to, you know, do we're not going to do like editing, film, cinematography, stuff like that. Just like the big ones like actor, actress, directing, and film. That kind of thing. And we'll see who gets the closest uh, right for nominations. Nice. And then once we get real close, see who uh, will do the win, winners and losers as well. So uh, that, that's our host. That's our, uh, not host, that is our template for today. So uh, I'm ready to just jump right into it. Why don't you just take us right on into this? Let's talk uh, about the adventures of Baron crazy, Munchauser. Yes, crazy adventure. Housen. Or do you want to start with uh, Don Quixote? Which one do you want to start with? Let's start with Munchausen. Okay. You gave this one four stars. Yeah. That was a shock to me. Now, I texted you and I said, uh, what did I tell you? You said that I would like this one and you were right. I did. I'm trying to see where did I actually say it? I, I'm, there's a lot of Oscar talk in these. Oh, <laughs> yeah. The Adventures of Baron Munchausen was incredible. That's what I That's said. all you said. Yeah. So I, a lot of these Terry Gilliam films I had seen when I was in like high school, middle school or, you know, some other time. Yeah. Um. So I wasn't, I was watching some of these like, yeah, sure. Fresh eyes as an adult and like more appreciation for film, but it was a little different now seeing these, but I had never seen the adventures of Baron Munchausen. That's one of the few I hadn't seen. And oh my gosh, what a fun movie. Yeah. Like this was fun. So and fun little trivia fact, Sarah Polly is the main star, uh, the little girl yep. who just won best adapted screenplay. For wow. Oscar. Yeah. Serious. That's the same girl. Yeah, women Holy talking. cow. Yep. So My she, mind is blown. Well, the fun thing, so Eric Idle, who played, yeah. uh, what was it, what did they call him? The fast runner. Barthold. 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 Yeah. Barthold. It's not like you just said butthold. Yeah, it sounded like it. Yeah, uh, Desmond slash Barthold. 
uh, he presented her the award at the Screen Actors Guild, yeah, Guild Awards. Yeah. And she, she, they kind of rekindled afterwards. I read a bunch of interviews Aww. from them talking about their time on set with Gilliam. Yeah. And, uh, how they both never worked with him since. <laughs> yeah. So the fun thing, so a lot of Gilliam's films have a very rich and interesting backstory, which is like I said on last week, if yeah. I ever got to make a documentary feature I would or film, I would love to make one Terry Gilliam's life and the behind the scenes on some of the stuff that happened because he has enough chaos behind the scenes of making his films that make a movie almost like you yeah. can make a movie based on him making the movies. Yeah. Um, so in the adventures of Baron Munchausen is arguably one of his top three most iconic troubled shoots. First of all, so the adventures of Baron Munchausen is one is probably his first, the way I understand it, his big budget film. Like this is the one that Hollywood, um, gave him like a, all right, here's a check. Here's what you're going to do. So he yeah. did. Yeah. So he's coming right off the success of Brazil. So he's got wow. Hollywood's attention now. Yeah. Uh, Cause Brazil was huge. So he's done Monty Python, Jabberwocky, time bandits, the meaning of life in Brazil, which we've covered all of the, no, we haven't covered the first two yet. Those are coming though. I'm very excited. Where were the first two Monty Python and Jabberwocky. Yeah. Um, so, but he's done for Hollywood's purposes. He's done time bandits in Brazil, both of which were pretty big success. So he was given a, um, let's see. The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. I read a lot of stuff about the backstory of this. Yeah. So he got a pretty hefty um budget. Oh, he was given a twenty three point five million dollar budget. He spent forty six point six three million dollars. Oh my god! So he went twenty three million dollars over budget. Oh, that's <laughs> and, crazy. Uh, it kind of put him on a shit list in Hollywood for a little bit. Um, because apparently he was kind of a not not a dick about it, but like. I need this to make the movie. Yeah. It's going to happen. And apparently this shoot took forever. Like this was like, took forever to film. Um, so yeah, it said the film was over budget. Um, and like, I need to get the DVD. I know this is on criterion too. There's a lot of behind the scenes and yeah. like, uh, stuff in the back, but yeah, if you, I'm not going to sit here and read it all to you. Uh, but there's some very interesting backstory to this, like about the experience, about the budget. Um, and like how he endangered Sarah Polly and she does not look back on it. They're just like, Probably. I hope y'all, I want y'all to watch the movie. I'm proud of the movie. Enjoy the movie. Yeah. I'll never work with Terry Gilliam again. Yeah. And that was actually the last, one of the last collaborations that Eric Idle and him, he said he loves Terry Gilliam to death, but yeah. filming a, like not a, a non Monty Python movie is just a very tedious slog. Yeah. And like exhausting. I like imagine he said his mind and that's what Sarah Polly said too. He's so immensely creative. And once things, his vision brought to life, like probably more so than any other director that's out there, yeah. but by any means necessary. Yes. Like, like she said, like she was going deaf, like literally from like the explosions that were happening right next to her oh and stuff God. like that. Yeah. Like, and like some of the stuff where they're dangling in the air. Yep. She legit like was just dangling in the air. Like, it, I don't know. It's wild. So the movie itself is kind of like, maybe this is a weird thing. It gave me, Peter Pan vibes like something about Neverland it gave me this like Neverland yeah. is, is absconding off into you know this fantastical world with like a old Peter Pan-esque type feature in, the, in Baron Munchausen which starting there I love the cast of this film I thought all of them were incredible um, so the main actor John Neville who played the harmonious Carl Frederick Baron von Munchausen was a stage actor who had not really who had been kind of 
fallen out of Hollywood, had kind of not really got a good gig in a while, but Church Harrigan was a fan and it gave him a huge resurgence in Hollywood after this yeah. film. So, you know, th- that's neat. And then you had Eric Idle who played Berthold, Sarah Pauly who played S- Sally Salt, the main girl. Um, trying to see... Uma Thurman? I wasn't prepared for how hot Uma Thurman <laughs> was. Dawson tried to tell me. Dawson watched this movie yeah. about a month ago and he's like, even his review is like, oh my gosh. I mean, what a beauty. I mean, she's always been that. She's still, it's like, no, it's, Uma what? Thurman is not attractive to me now. Oh, wow. But okay. in this, yeah. They don't even look, I mean, they look the same. It's different. I don't know, man. She looked gorgeous in this. Yeah. I mean, Pulp Fiction, like, that's like, she's all right in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Okay. But like, Kill Bill, no. Okay. No. Anyway, no, I thought she looked great here. Anyway, um, Jack Purvis, this is my favorite. He's been in three Terry This is the third Terry Gilliam film we've seen him in. Yeah. Uh, I thought he was really good here as Gustavus. I enjoyed his character. Um, Jonathan Price again. We got another Jonathan Price. This is our third Jonathan Price, Terry Gilliam. Yeah. Well, he's in Don Quixote as, the, as Don Quixote. Uh, as the right ordinary Horatio Jackson. Now, you've heard of that before, right? Right, I, ordinary Horatio Jackson. That's been memed to death. The name, all this other stuff. I mean, no, not really. Oh, okay. If I'm being honest. Okay, well, I, I have, <laughs> I have. Um, and then you have Uma Thurman. You have um, Robin Williams. Yeah, which was great. I loved his character. I have, I have, I have feelings, but yeah. Okay, and then you have Sting. Sting is in this. That movie. was surprising. Yeah, what is it? I was like sitting there. I was like, is that? I knew Sting was in the movie. Yeah. I was like, is that is that Sting? Because yeah. he's so much younger. I had to really sit and look at it. Um. And then Terry Gilliam, he was the guy singing in The Fish, briefly. It's a great cast. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I thought all of the performances were great. I didn't talk, Some of these Terry Gilliam performances are a little hammy. I thought all of these were really fun. Uh, so some pretty good ones. I really thought um, in the where they're in the volcano with the giants, I really liked Oliver Reed's, the Vulcan's character, who was with Venus, Uma Thurman. Yeah. I loved that whole scene down there where they're building a nuclear bomb. Love that. But for the film itself, I'm getting ahead of myself. Like, this movie, the the letterboxed is the description is remarkable, unbelievable, impossible, and true. The account of Baron Munchausen's supposed travels and fantastical experiences with his band of misfits doesn't really tell you a lot. So the film opens in wartime, this potential war in like Britain versus you know the yeah. Turks, and um, they're entertaining Jonathan Price's like sadistic mayor kind of character, and then. Um, the Baron Munchausen comes up on stage while he's watching a play of himself. Baron Munchausen, he hijacks it, saying that's not how his life played out, and he absconds off with the little girl, and they go on an adventure to find his old, you know, teammates. So, yeah. you, or crew, I guess teammates would be the right thing. So, they now they go to the moon, that's where they find Berthold, and that's where Robin Williams comes into play, and then they go to, um, uh, is it Under the Sea next? No, then they go to the volcano, yes. and they find the strongman part of their group, um, Bill, and then they go to then they go under the sea to yeah. like Davy Jones locker and they find Gustavus and the sharp eye shooter. Yeah. Um, then they go back and they save the town from the Turks. So that, that that's your story. And in, in between you're fluttering back and forth, back in time, seeing some of the adventures of Baron Munchausen past life. And then adventures of Baron Munchausen current. And like he ages differently based on where he is, which was neat. Cause like he looks so old and gross at the stage. And then, yeah, I didn't think that as far as like where they were, I thought it was the, the adventure like how much adventure like how much fun he had yeah like if he was having a great yes. time he was young okay yeah. yeah that's right yeah yeah yeah. and then like because that final one he's like wow you don't look so good he's like, i'm not having fun yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly so, uh 
And like one of the things I really loved how this is death is chasing him the whole movie because he's like one of the things is he's like like puss in boots. He's cheated death yeah. over and over and over and over and over again. And like Sarah Polly's character, Sally Salt, yeah. keeps like saving him from death. She's like taking an endearment to, you know, the Baron. So tell me about what worked for you this film the most. So that, that's a rough synopsis yeah. of the film. Uh what what worked about that? Because you gave it four stars, and it's like uh-huh. a little over midway. It's like one of your mid tier films of his. Definitely, it, it, it probably would say a mid tier. It's it reminded me a lot of Time Bandits, as far as like yeah, the, definitely the thematic elements. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the feel. It's like and, an up to me is an upgraded version of Time Bandits. Exactly, and, and that it showed in the production. Yeah. of it all. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the different set pieces and all that stuff yeah. felt a lot like Time Bandits. Uh, other than that, I just thought the the story just seemed a lot more streamlined. Um, the only nitpick, real nitpick, I really had was the moon scene. Yeah, that whole set. I know you liked it because it's Robin Williams, but it almost felt overindulgent. Yeah, it was um, long. It, it was, was too longer. long. It was longer than it needed to be. I agree with that. It was um, way too long. I, I thought it was like way too long. Yeah, like, I, it, it, it should have been. Yeah, but, it, but, well, it it lost its appeal to me though a little bit. I further. think if they had cut out more in the beginning, I feel yeah. like towards the end, like so the the point where the uh, queen or whatever the moon breaks queen. The, the moon queen breaks them out, mm-hmm. and you know she's obviously she's laughing, giggling, and the she's girl, the foot fetish going on. Yeah, back the there, girl yeah. asks like, "What are they doing?" Oh, and they're like, "You're led to believe, oh, they're they're having sex right now." Yeah, because like so, well, tell explain <sighs> to them what's happening. So, like, so these the moon king and queen. Robin Williams is the moon king. Yes, their heads detached from their bodies and their bodies have their whole <laughs> other like consciousness but they're all like this whole carnal like need yeah like and robin williams floating head is kind of a whimsical yes. laughing sophisticated kind of yeah, guy higher thinking and then his body's like a horny teenager yes and so um so the queen's head detaches trying to save them her her body's left with the moon king <laughs> whose head is just literally strapped to his head yeah or his body or whatever and uh, she's just laughing while she's trying to save them. And the girl asks the, like, what are they, like, she's why, like, oh, why is she laughing? Oh. And Barry Lanchard just kind of looks and was like, oh, well, they're just tickling her feet. feet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then it cuts to the scene and they're under He's the literally covers. literally tickling her feet. <laughs> He's tickling. Yeah. I, it's just, it's weird. Uh, Gilliam's kind of a pervert, but not in a. Not in like a bad way. Well. Nah, sometimes. Nah, he's great. <laughs> Tideland, except the potential oh, incestual relationship. Don Quixote. I mean, the girl was fifteen, but we'll get to that later. Yeah. Uh, but overall, I enjoyed the movie. Nothing, nothing. I watched. It, I was like, it, it didn't work. Yeah. Um, it, it just, it was a typical Terry Gilliam movie. Yeah, but better. Yeah, I like mean, it, elevated because of more spending for production. But I would say what makes Gilliam amazing is his ability to to bring practical effects and and oh, actual the practi- theatrical yeah. like sets you can tell to life his monty python backgrounds yeah are the best part about what makes all of his films good like yeah. no, even in modern films he still chooses to use like his theater roots yeah are evident in every film and i thought the adventures of baron munchausen was a great example of all of that. Absolutely. Uh, even more so than Time Bandits and some of the other films. Like this was a theater film. Like and I, I loved all yeah. about that. Um, so w- what was your favorite journey you went on? Honestly, the it, I, there was no journey that stuck out more to me. Uh, my favorite part of the of the movie was whenever uh, they go through that whole battle sequence and it just flips to 
which one, the beginning battle sequence or the end battle sequence? End battle okay. sequence. Yeah, they go through, they save everybody, they come back, and they they show back up um, to where 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 is it there like again? London, England. I don't know something like I that. I think it's France or France. somewhere weird yeah, like that. Know. The Turk or Turks are invading. Yeah, but they show up and they fight them. And it cuts back, and they're back on the stage, like they're telling. Yeah, I think it was France because Jonathan Price had a terrible French accent. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Jonathan. There's Jonathan Price's got his accents, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, I thought that was a, a cool twist. Um, it's just there. There are certain things about Gillian movies, like there are. I think it's 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 ironic that we pick the man who killed Don Quixote and this one paired it together. Uh, because, well, I did because of Jonathan Price. That's what I wanted to well, do the Price feature. There's but. that, but the there are just different themes to this movie that kind of overlap or not themes but um i don't know i don't know what the word is exactly this is where like film school probably comes in handy but um just it was nominated for four oscars wow uh best art direction see it best costume design yeah best visual effects yeah and best makeup wow yeah i mean i feel like if you do a gillian movie like that's gonna be up there all the time I didn't realize that. Like before we started, I've always loved his films. I've never yeah. really looked to see almost every film we've watched of his outside of a couple, I think all but two. Yeah. I've had one Oscar nomination for each. Crazy. Uh, but I mean, even just like comparing it to Don Quixote though, like you have this main character who is um like a hero, like a hero in this sense of they're wrapped up in this this story that may or may not be true. Mm-hmm. But overall, it, it moves the 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 whole story. Like the the main crisis or issue. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just I look at the two movies that we just watched, and I just see a lot of similarities. Yeah, all I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with that. Now that's not why I paired them, but yeah. I can see that in hindsight. But I mean, we could have done this with a lot of Terry Gilliam movies. Well, I know. Like I was reading, I'm trying to read this too because they do say the Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Um, it's the third entry in Gilliam's trilogy of imagination, preceded by Time Bandits and Brazil. They are all about the craziness of awkwardly ordered society and the desire to escape it to whatever means. Gilliam explains that the one thing that runs through all three of these pictures is consistently serious battle between fantasy and what people perceive as reality. Uh, these are this is a quote, a quote yeah. from Gilliam. Um, all three films focus on these struggles and attempts to escape them through imagination. Time Bandits through the eyes of a child. Yep. Brazil through the eyes of a man in his thirties. And Munchausen through the eyes of an elderly man. Brilliant, yeah. brilliant. Yeah, love it. I that does make sense. I never, I didn't know this is actually what he calls the trilogy. It's his words, trilogy of imagination, and they're three in a row. Makes sense. I never looked at it that way. So, yeah, I, at the same time, though, if you're having to explain this is the trilogy for this when it's not overly yeah. obvious, well, because it's an anthology trilogy. If anything, it's not. Sure. Uh, here's that quote before I forget. Eric Idle said, up until Munchausen, I'd always been very smart about Terry Gilliam films. You don't ever want to be in them. Go see them by all means, but you do not want to effing be in them. It's effing madness. <laughs> <laughs> That's intense. Yeah, Sarah Pauly said she was nine years old Yeah, at the time of the film. I finally found these quotes. Um, described it as a traumatic experience. Definitely left with me with a few scars. It was so dangerous. There were so many explosions going off so close to me, which is traumatic for a kid, whether it's dangerous or not. But I genuinely lost some of my hearing being in freezing cold water for hours on end and working endless hours. It was physically grueling and further unsafe. She elaborated in her experience in her 2022 memoir, Run Towards the Danger. 
writing, though Gilliam was magical and brilliant, made images and stories that will live forever. Uh, it's hard to calculate whether they're worth the price of the hell that you have to go through to help him make them. Wow. That's intense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but she said on October 30th this last year, uh, talking about Terry Gilliam, you have my unconditional permission to love this movie and love all of Gill- Gilliam's work. Um, you can still like this movie and I recommend you still like this movie after hearing about my horrible experiences working <laughs> on it as a child. It was very traumatic and it should have been handled differently, but it's still a great movie and he's a great director. Yeah. Uh, you have my blessing. Yeah. He's like Gilliam is that type of creative that just, he needs kind of someone on the, on the reins for him. His um, production designer, Dante Ferretti, he's moved yeah. on into other stuff uh, that have won Oscars. He said the thing about Terry is um, he's open to every single idea and opportunity to make the result work. Often the best ideas have come come from something uh, out of not out of something not working properly on set and coming up with a new concept same day as a result. He's very elastic and that is one quality in a director that I admire the most. Yeah, but that also leads to the chaos. Like, yeah, oh, you know what that what we had right ready doesn't work. Let's do something totally different, and hence why his b- budget ballooned by twenty three yeah. million dollars. <laughs> Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, but like I was saying, like there's just there's whole paragraphs and pages just about the making of this film that to like to be a fly on the wall on these Terry Gilliam films probably not safe. But yeah, absolutely. I'm telling safe. you, I would love to work with Terry Gilliam. Oh my gosh, I would not. I think it'd be a great time. I would die of high blood pressure. You think? <laughs> yeah, probably so. Um, my my favorite part of this film um was is what is one or two scenes mm-hmm. the one where right after he's telling his fantastical stories and he hijacks the stage and they go back when they're all young the first one and they're doing the turk and like so his yeah. his teammates um berthold has super speed um and has to wear like these anchors on his ankles to keep him from you know just yeah. flying off the handle you have bill yeah. who's super super strong like a like a mini giant super strong you have gustavus who is the the dwarf jack purvis he can inhale and exhale like windstorm. Yeah. And then you have, I can't remember the other one's name. He's like a sharp eye shooter. He's mm-hmm. like these glasses that magnify top 10. So he has like, then Baron Munchausen is like, I don't know, like a Peter Pan kind of character. Yes. Just kind of charisma over everything and gets in and out of everything. Um, so the first scene that you really introduce to them, they're like going back in time and like ripping off this Sultan, uh, playing a trick on him all along, knowing what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Love that whole scene. I love the, the effects of that scene. I love the introduction to the characters. I thought it was a great way to introduce everybody um, and then tie it all in. Like that opening scene tied the end of this movie together. I thought that was great yeah. and how they're still seeking revenge on Munchausen. Love that. <laughs> but the volcano scene also um, playing on the the actual Roman god of Vulcan and Venus. Yeah. Um, them going to visit them in the volcano and making them their big thing, build a nuclear bomb. And then the Uma Thurman's character, the goddess Venus, falls in like she's smitten with Baron Munchausen's character uh, and they like waltz up in the air which I loved that's part of the reason I love that that is fantastical Gilliam that's what I love about Gilliam they're waltzing in the air in this like grand ballroom in the middle of a volcano with this waterfall in the background and like you're introduced to Uman Thurman's Venus character in the scene and like a clamshell coming out of this fountain like I don't know that whole scene is the reason I love Gilliam like it's just uninhibited imagination uh-huh. And like nobody does it better than Terry Gilliam. And it's just, it's brilliant. Like I, I, I loved that whole scene. And I thought the humor there was really funny. Like with the, the caveman grunting, like Berthold dancing with him, trying to distract him yeah. from killing him and like them dancing together. Like it just worked for me. And then the Pinocchio scenes with the giant fish. 
mm-hmm. um, and getting swallowed up um, and playing that card game with death. Uh, just everything about this movie worked. I had it at four stars and then I had changed it the next day because like I couldn't quit thinking about it. And like, I'm going to have to buy this film on yeah. Criterion. Like, I yeah. loved it. it. It jumped up to one of my favorite Terry Gilliam films um, to the point that I've redone my list. Um, my Terry Gilliam ratings, I thought were pretty locked in, but they have moved quite a bit to the point that originally, like two weeks ago, my rating had the Zero Theorem as my third highest rated yeah. Terry Gilliam film. It's fallen down all the way to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Wow. I know. So my current rating is The Fisher King, The Imaginary of Dr. Parnassus, The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, Brazil, 12 Monkeys, The Zero Theorem, Time Bandits, Tideland, and Monty Python, The Meaning of Life. Yeah. Uh, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen might leap over Don Quixote and Parnassus. I'm going to be honest. Parnassus is like a five-star. I might bump it down to four and a half. But if Munchausen isn't a five star film to me, yeah. it's not perfect. Parnassus to me, as the longer time's gone, and we've talked about it, and I've now watched yeah. all of his films, the nostalgia kind of fades. Yeah, on it. it's still for me personally, yeah. like like in my heart of hearts, a five star film. But these other Terry Gilliam movies are just as good. Like they're all, I just hadn't seen all of these, and now watching oh, them yeah. back to back to back to back to back to back has made me still appreciate Parnassus in a wider berth but appreciate his other works more and yeah. realize right right now out of all these, the Fisher King is by far and away my favorite. Like that really? hasn't changed by far and away. Yeah. My favorite Gilliam film so far. Uh, love that movie still like yeah. still recommend that movie. I think I've recommended it at least twice a week to somebody like That's great. the Fisher King's fantastic. And now the Adventures of Munchausen might be that next film for me. Like I think over time, this is going to end up being my second favorite Gilliam film. It's just fantastical. It's well-written. The production design is incredible. The actors are all incredible. The cast is great. Um, I, I I get just this is great. This is like I said, it's like a Neverland meets Treasure Planet meets yeah, no, the Treasure Planet uh, or not Treasure. I'm actually thinking what Treasure Planet's based off Planet on. Island or uh, Planet, Planet Island. Island. <laughs> yeah, Planet Treasure Island. Island. Treasure <laughs> Island. Yes, it's like Treasure <laughs> Island meets Peter Pan meets Don Quixote meets Don Quixote. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a lot of fun. And I know every week we talk about these Terry Gilliam films and some of them are easier to discuss than others, but they're all so creative yeah. and imaginative. Our words reviewing these can't really do them justice. Terry Gilliam's kind of one of those guys. You just kind of have to watch his films and experience them, Yeah, but don't do them like we do. You know, I mean, unless you're just watching along with us, which thank you. But Terry Gilliam films, I think would be much better suited to be broken up over the course of a year. <laughs> Like, yes. you know, like watch Parnassus and a couple months later, watch Time Bandits a couple yeah. months later, watch something else, break them up with other films. Uh, and I think you would appreciate his work that much more. So after you watching The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, where did you rate it? You uh, gave it four stars, but where is it in your ranking? I have. Yeah. So I gave it four stars. And right now it is at five on my list. Okay. Out of 10. So yeah. dead middle. Yes, yeah, so I have my where my list stands because I actually ended up moving some stuff as well. I have Brazil at number one. I don't see that changing. Mm-hmm. I absolutely don't. That's, that's your Fisher in. King yeah. for me. Yeah. Um, Fisher King at two, though. Okay. That is my. So after next. after we, because uh, you bumped yours up a half star from four to four and a half, that stayed? Yes. Okay. I ended up moving it right below Tidelands at number three. Uh, 12 Monkeys, which I, I'm feeling better about. Did you after, rewatch it? 
I haven't rewatched it, but just like retrospectively, like thinking about it mm-hmm. after I've watched it, the time that it was released, it makes a lot more sense. Well, let's pause there for a second because you're hitting on something I don't want to forget here. Watching The Adventures of Baron Munchauser, 1988. Yeah. Yes. You know, every film that Gilliam's done, he did it first. Yeah. A lot of the things that we watch now came after Terry Gilliam, and you can just see the inspiration that he's put on. He's probably one of the biggest undersung innovators in modern cinema. Yeah, I mean, he's like a George Lucas or, a, um, I mean, even now, like Christopher Nolan. Mm-hmm. Or, he just um, doesn't get the heralding that the yes. other ones do. But by this cinematography, or by his filmography, like, his fingerprints are all over everything we see today. Yeah. And he just doesn't get heralded enough for it. Yeah, so I had uh, 12 Monkeys, then uh, Baron Munchausen, uh, Time Bandits, uh, imaginary, uh, imaginary Doctor Parnassus, uh, then the man who killed Don Quixote, which I can't wait to hear. You have Parnassus yeah, over at, that at eight, and then Zero Theorem at nine, meaning of life. Last so that's funny because you know you and I are both. Well, now granted, the Zero Theorem's fallen as we've keep wa- yeah. kept watching these movies, and it's still four and a half for yeah. me. I still very much enjoy it. All of Gilliam's films, you're you're more of the three and a half to four star. Yeah. I'm more four to five star yeah on gilliam but that's just you know we have some different we have different palettes too yeah uh the weirder they are the more they're my shit and yeah. like and i'm also a sucker for he is his over his over emphasis on uh societal critiques like they're painfully obvious the heavy-handedness yes, of that, it all that's it. yes yeah i love that about it uh i i think there's like this one actually was less yeah you you enjoy satire more than me yes. i feel like as well and yeah. Gill- gilliam is is satire yeah like the is. whole yeah the whole thing so um what thoughts do you have on baron munchausen i enjoy it i, I could do a rewatch of this probably now yeah i do too i think than i think this may be his most rewatchable film we've seen so far i was looking back at my list and honestly time bandits was up there for me mm-hmm. but again this feels so much like time bandits yeah and it's just to so see time bandits can't this is oh well that is seven years apart doesn't feel like it but yeah yeah, um, yeah but again it just joker. it just has the glitz and glam of, of a little bit more money in production mm-hmm. uh so yeah that uh yeah munchausen is probably the most rewatchable actually i take i mean brazil probably is but it's just a little it's, bit longer. it's so long yeah like because it's not my favorite the bunt munchausen it's close yeah but i think i could just watch that one the most yeah. in the background so far now granted there are parts of money pots on the meaning life i could watch over and over again yeah but those <laughs> are that's the type of movies yeah you it's can a do sketch. Little clips of that yeah so um do you have any more thoughts on munchausen i don't it's great okay so i w- i know we said i wasn't gonna do this to you so I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I'm doing it to you right now. No, no. I need you to open with why you didn't like the man who killed Don Quixote. Um. Well, I think overall. First of all, did you know there's a documentary that's on Tubi about this movie? Why? Because it's it, he's, so controversial. He spent, no, he spent like 20 years trying to make it. Remember we talked about this no. on the we talked about last week on the episode. We must have uh, gla- must have grazed over it because it didn't well, not the stick not with the me. documentary. Yeah, but because uh, just... I remember we talked about how Johnny Depp was attached to it, Robin Williams was attached to it, okay. William Hurt was attached to it, and then Adam over Driver, the years, finally. yeah, like, I gotcha. uh, over and over and over and over again. He spent twenty years trying to make this movie to the point that he made a documentary, yeah, about or someone did. Um, I'm gonna go try to find it. But why are you doing that? Tell me why you didn't like this movie. Uh, it felt it. F- it, it didn't give enough explanation for what was really happening mm-hmm. uh, with the characters, um, the uh, 
uh, Angelica character. I, I didn't get a full grasp of what was really happening there till the very end. Angelica, that's the girl from that the city. That's the girl, yes, that they meet, the 15-year-old girl, whenever these college, like, art school kids. Adam Driver yeah, and his friends. Yeah. Are trying to make uh, a film, uh, which happens to be... Um, but don't you think that was purposeful, though? I think he was... Terry Gilliam is not the biggest advocate of Americans. No. Uh, as a whole. Uh, he's yeah. made that very clear. Um, not, not, he doesn't, he loves the nation. He just thinks Americans are yeah. arrogant, pompous, self-important, yeah, which we are. Speaking. Yeah. We are. I think that was purposely like a heavy handed thing. Like, in what context? Like these college kids come here, don't care about the age or just here in Italy to do what they want to do and do who they want to uh, do. I, don't just, care about I the think age. there's been proof that age isn't an issue for Gilliam whenever it comes to a love interest. In real life? Parnassus, the girl was had no, just I'm turned in real life. I oh. think I think he's making no, a jab I'm, at. No, okay, I I think those are purposeful though. I think that's a Western culture jab because it's Parnassus wasn't Western culture. It was you're like that was based in London, wasn't it, or England? Yeah, I guess. I've just always thought his underage thing was kind of a shot. I just at, think he's pervy. You think he's a pervy man? Yeah, pervy Gilliam. Yeah, I'm agree to disagree. There. I, I mean, but I think that's like a theater type, like a. Are you saying theater, theater people are thing. perverts? No, I just think it's it's I don't I don't know what the point is exactly. The, the the point I'm trying to make about this movie though is overall I didn't really get the full plot. I didn't know what the direction this movie was trying to go with. Yeah. For a long time. Um and it just kind of felt like it was getting dragged on. Um I love Jonathan Price. And I actually loved him as Don Quixote. Yes. Um, Same. I kind of... He was the... I love Adam Driver. Yeah. And he he was great. Yes. Adam, Adam Driver, anything he ever does, he's great at Yes. And this is no exception. But Jonathan Price's acting in this film yeah. was the best of the bunch. He yeah. was fantastic. I loved his character. I watched, I watched this knowing that Adam Driver had more in him to bring to this mm-hmm. movie. But, <clears throat> but overall, I just don't think he had a chance to. Yes. Um... We find out later on, so the the big thing about Don Quixote is that he's this man on a mission that he's never going to die. Right. And I loved. And I that's loved, based on all this is based on a book. Yeah. 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 Um. Yeah. I I don't know. It was um. Overall, it just wasn't. It it didn't hit right with me. Um, I'm trying to. He dreams of giants. That's it. Uh, Don Don Quixote dreams of giants. Yeah. So that's the name of the documentary. Covering oh, okay. this. Oh, gotcha. Um, Keith Fulton and Louis Pepe, the writers of directors in Lost in La Mancha, um, which is. Um, so this is a two part thing. This is, like I said, every Terry, this is his most storied background. So I reckon I'm going to give you a little insight into this, which is part of the reason I've always loved this movie too, because I've been following, because I've been loving films as a kid. So I've been following the making of this film for 20 years, basically. Yeah. Um, so after his 1998 film, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, was almost abandoned, Gilliam decided to document the making of all of his films in case one of them was canceled, which <laughs> is the most Terry Gilliam so thing petty. I've ever heard. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, for The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, he asked Keith Fulton and Louis Pepe, who he had been in charge of making of his, uh, in charge of the making of. Yes. Okay. Of his film, The Twelve Monkeys, the film what should have ultimately been its making of. Uh, however... After it was after Don Quixote was canceled, Lost in La Mancha was released in 2002 as a standalone documentary film about Gilliam's failed attempt making the film. Uh, the documentary received critical praise for its relevance on the difficulties of inherent filmmaking and for its depiction of Gilliam as an artist. 
Uh, BBC called the film painful to watch an astonishing unmaking of a documentary, which defines the phrase catalog of disasters. Um, Olga Korolyanko, who eventually starred in the eventual 2018 film. Who was that? Olga? Uh, hold on. Oh, that's the girl. The adult version of her. Yes. Uh, who starred in the eventual 2018 film stated about Lost in La Mancha. You watch it and you think, poor Terry. Why does this have to happen to this wonderful man? He doesn't deserve this. It's just crazy. But it wasn't meant to be. I guess it wasn't the moment. Um, so she's much higher on Terry Gilliam, Sarah Polly was. Sarah Polly was. Yeah. So anyway, so there's Lost in La Mancha, which I guess I'm going to have to watch now because I'll probably enjoy that. And then He Dreams of Giants. It's Keith Fulton, Louis Pepe, same people who did the all these. Um, released a follow-up film called He Dreams of Giants, which covers the entire history of the film's making with a particular focus on what happened after the events in the first documentary, uh, you know, Lost in La Mancha. Uh, it was released in 2019. Pepe said that the film is more introspective than Lost in La Mancha. This is more a film about an inter internal struggle in an artist's mind. What it's like for an artist to be standing on the brink of actually finishing this project. Uh, even on the set, we would say the conflict's raging around Terry right now of making a movie are not nearly as interesting as what's going on inside of his head. Um, this is on Tubi. I might have to watch this one. Yeah. That would be fun, I think, to watch. Um, the Reasons like that, like that, oh, are the reasons. Terry Gilliam, Adam Driver, and Jonathan Price all play a significant part in the documentary. So that's almost yeah. worth watching in general. Yeah, but things like that being made are the got to be the reason why big Hollywood production. don't want Gilliam yeah. around. Well, part of probably just to cover their ass too, because I don't think Gilliam's the kind of person who cares well, about. Well, I mean, you can't you can't fund a movie where you're you know you're a gun is being held to your head the whole time of like if you you know. It, it just that's so much pressure and like unnecessary you know drama um which i'm not saying i don't think gilliam's like i just you know he's a lot yeah and he is he, he he's openly frustrated with the state of hollywood and like <laughs> yeah. modern day cinema which some of his critiques are fair sure some of them are bitter sure. yeah he, he, you know he's you know he's a he's bitter burned his own bridges he has and some of them i don't think you're i don't think burning bridges is always a bad thing no either not, not I, at all and i think some of the things he is trying to you need to be able to make the things that you want to make how you make. Like, yes. Like you, you want to be able to have creative freedom. Right. Um, so anyway, it's a fun backstory. And like, if you really get to looking into, um, who was into like last week, we were talking about, um, who was going to be in it originally. Yeah. And Johnny Depp, let's see casting. I, so this movie could have been a good, one one and a half star different maker if like a, a a character like Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp was supposed to play Johnny or Adam Driver's character. Yes, yeah. That's you who put that was. John, uh, you put someone with the charisma. Not that Adam Adam Driver doesn't have charisma. It's just it's a different, it's a different energy. Yeah, different energy. And uh, it was the the best pairing was Johnny Depp as Toby. Yeah, and Robin Williams as Quixote. Robin Williams. That was the original. I. I had no issue with Jonathan Price. No, Jonathan Price was great. So yeah. Originally, it was those yeah. two. And then Ewan McGregor was after Johnny Depp. Yeah. That would have been a weird one. Yeah. Uh, then Tom Cruise. Would have been... It, also it, weird. It, it could have worked, though. It could have worked. Yeah, and then you had uh, Jonathan Price. Actually, Jonathan Price was one of the... Michael Palin was briefly interviewed. Yeah. Or his Bonnie Python troupe yeah. as Quixote um, in between Robin Williams. Uh -huh. Um Robin Williams only got taken out because he died. He died yeah. at the time. I don't know that. Um, 
but a Johnny Depp like that charisma would have would have made a lot more sense. I never like there's the scenes uh, because I mean Don Quixote's thing Don Don Quixote's thing is you know he fights for chivalry, mm-hmm. um, and I never really got the vibe that Adam Driver's character Toby was like a big like sleaze dog like whenever no. it came to no it's, it's, just, well, it's hard to imagine Adam Driver like that in general he's just yeah, yeah. exactly so it, now it, granted twenty nineteen or twenty well when this would have been twenty eighteen. He wasn't. I mean, he was a household name. Eh, he probably wasn't a household name in 2018. Star Wars, yeah. I, but that would really be the first thing. Yeah. I didn't know much Adam Driver until Star Wars. Sure. So and this was right at that time. Yes. Um. But I, what I just gasped at, I don't know if I said this last week. In the meantime, while he was making the uh, man, man who killed Don Quixote, mm-hmm. he was also working with the Nicolas Cage-led TV series, The Defective Detective. I touched on that last week. I just didn't know. Nick Cage was supposed to be the main character. A Nick Cage Terry Gilliam mashup. That's what that's I need. Crazy. That's got that's got the word. That's got everything written all <laughs> over it. Um. Oh, he fell out of uh, Johnny Depp. Fell out of this film because if he was filming Public Enemies. Wow. So what do you? So then I mean I I poorly explained why this movie didn't really work for me. What what works for you with this? Everything. Then? I love this movie. Okay. So this movie, let me, let me, this is his, this is the ultimate, most obvious morality tell. Yeah. Let me, let me preface something that I did enjoy about this movie is how this opens. It felt like a classic Terry Gilliam movie. Which part of the opening? Like the, like the, the opening scene yeah. of uh, what ends up being a commercial shoot. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah it yeah. feels like a Monty Python set. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, he's being like he's he's playing the joke yeah. on himself, which I think that the part there's part of this where it's very retrospective of Gilliam as a person and maybe his role in Hollywood. But yeah, I, I just I love the beginning of that. No, the beginning's great. And I love the the flashback and forth yeah. between when Adam Driver was, you know, it opens with him as the big shot. Actually, in film. flailing big shot director yeah. who had who kind of missed his son. Now he's doing commercials, but and then going back to when he was in Italy, going to you know film a Don Quixote special, yeah. um, finding Jonathan Price, his character who was a cobbler, um, and like, oh, this is our this is our Quixote because the people that they they didn't really have a good one, so they chose the cobbler, which was Jonathan Price's character, and they choose yeah. him, and they you know he's kind of awkward and old, doesn't really know how to do anything the way they want him to, and he you know, as Jonathan Price gets to know Adam Driver and then while they're out there more and more, he gets more comfortable, they develop a relationship and then they eventually leave after they get what they needed and, you know, 20 years pass or whatever and they go back and Adam Driver is, you know, kind of going, it, things aren't going so as well as he wants to with the commercial and he goes in to the old town where they find, where they found Jonathan Price's character and he goes to look for the the girl who would now be of age. Um, yes. And she's not there because the her dad said that she is now or brother, dad, brother, I'm not sure which one, um, said that she's a whore. Dad. Yeah, she's a whore in Spain yes. now, or something like that. Um, but he, you know, he gets some information about Jonathan Price, where he's at, and um, not only does the cobbler not do cobblery, cobblerly anymore, I don't know that's cobbler? a word. Yeah, he's not a cobbler anymore. Cob- he believes yeah. he's Don Quixote, and has like his whole sideshow where you go into like this little trailer thing, and like he does this speech, and you know, Adam Driver rediscovers him, uh, and he kind of goes on this mythic quest uh, of chivalry and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and from there it kind of delves into like this movie seems pretty straightforward until that point then it delves into madness yeah slowly <laughs> unraveling jonathan price's character is coming to realization adam driver's character is falling into madness yes uh all the while and the only the only medium is um what's her name i gotta go find angelica angelica yep she's the um she's the only like medium for them both she's rooted in reality if she's even there or is she a fiction of his imagination she's there she's there some people is a little up for debate in some some camps Okay. I'm not one of those camps. Yeah. I was kind of floating it out there to see what you think. I yeah. do think she's real. I think there's too much. This to... this this movie felt very straightforward. Yeah. But I also like so so the whole the the the, the particular scene that a lot of people love or hate is the big masquerade debauchery. Oh, I loved it. I did too. But a lot, a lot of people's heads where it gets a little too fantastical and oh. the straightforward approach goes away. That in the scene at the pool but it where was, she's where he's whipping himself. But it he was lusted. super straightforward because like at the at first, it's very it throws you off because you're led to believe it. It kind of like reminds me of those um, of those uh, moments in Fisher King. Whenever Robin Williams' character mm. uh, sees the Red Knight, yeah. where you don't know if this is real or not. Like he's obviously having a hallucinant yep. moment. Moment, uh, but whenever we see that big uh, parade of of you know knights or whatever, yeah, like you think, oh, they're in a different place this is oh i didn't even reality. think about that I, that that whole thing in the um early on so what right right after he just rediscovers yeah. don't kill is that what you're talking about where they go to like yes. the terrace village yeah he he they take him to the river and they clean him off yeah no 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 i'm, I'm talking about before that this is early on like after he, he meets don quixote again right yeah and then they go travel and like he's wanted for like burning adam driver's character toby's wanted for like burning the village town or something yeah uh quixote takes him to this like little homeless village right yes and then he that was met- just a dream was it yeah it was just a dream not all of it was a dream parts of his his, his mind imagining al-qaeda was a dream yeah but the whole the not the rest of it wasn't a dream i i i chalk it up as a fever dream no i think i think he was having a dissociative break from reality but he went into this village that was all real sure and then they came and found them that part was real the al-qaeda part wasn't real yeah at least don't we think but that that's what i'm saying like that's why i love this movie because it isn't it is straightforward but gilliam also does a lot of creative liberties here yeah that make it a gilliam film like had me questioning like wait a second did this happen did this not happen does this permanent is it not permanent like i couldn't tell i i didn't feel that i didn't feel it was uh super detached from Mm -hmm. reality um, yeah. I thought it was it was more grounded than probably it is more grounded than some of his other films. But I was say I thought he still did enough like that whole scene in the, yeah. the village. Uh, I thought the whole mask the scene where he discovers um, Angelica yes. as an adult, and then like the whole thing with Quixote whipping himself. Yeah, Gilliam is is so great at giving you these moments in time where you're led to believe. Is she just licking my? She's laptop? licking. I was like, she's just Luna. licking the fire she's out of your laptop. Metal, so weird like the battery or something. Um, but Gilliam's so great at finding these moments where it's almost like you're being thrown headfirst into this world, like this, you know, fantasy of, of, you know, escapism and just overindulgence. Yeah. And then just like that, it's, it's, you're, you're splashed with reality. Um, and I don't know, it, it works. Um, and I, I feel like there's a lot of that in this movie. Um, 
I don't know, man. Oh, we, we end up talking about this stuff. And, and I enjoyed like, the movie. And then you're like, I got rated high. Practically huh? speaking, there was just stuff that I, I think overall didn't work. Yeah. Um, so can we talk about it? We talk about it more. I know probably more stuff will come to me, but there's a lot of stuff that worked in this, but mm-hmm. it didn't grip me for the whole movie. One of the things I love about this movie being a 2018 movie, his new his most recent film that he yes. released. He it was a practical effects film again. Like 90% of this yeah. film was practical effects. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there was like some set design pieces yeah, that were meant yeah. to mimic. No, absolutely. But I'm saying like this wasn't like a Parnassus yeah, or anything. It, works. Like, it was almost all practical but, effects and I loved that. But the moments that were digital effects. Which ones were the digital effects? The uh, I, I, the main ones I think about the masquerade party at the end. There were more digital effects around that part. No, I was I was just thinking whenever at the end, whenever um, they're taking Don back to the village, and then Toby slips into madness, and they run into the giants. Oh yeah, like that was oh, terrible. Yeah. The three big giants. That was terrible. Oh yeah, I love that. No, I love that scene. <laughs> it looked god awful. Yeah, it was terrible, but I love it. See, but I, every that Gilliam, probably that probably took away a full see, on star for every me. Every Gilliam movie has how something can you like be that. so? How can you be a visionary for like so much like beautiful practical effects uh, that when it comes to g- digital effects for? Five minutes, maybe you couldn't muster up enough of a budget they, to get no, some. No, it, it wasn't much of a budget. <laughs> it was so the budget. I'm not sure what euros are, but it's very specified that it was euros. Was 16 million euros for the whole movie? Okay, well, so that's actors and everything included. Yeah. And it box officed in America. This is American money here. 2.4 million. Wow. So he got funded 16 million euros. That's what that is, right? That is called a loss. Right? That's the euro yeah. sign. So that's not much of American I mean, dollars. Million, yeah, euros, dollars. I mean, they're, they're, I think euros actually more now. But Either way, that's not a big budget for what this movie was. So considering the restraints, yeah, it's not so bad. Yeah, but you only made... <laughs> no, I know. Well, that's why I'm surprised it even got... I didn't even know it got a theatrical release. Um, that's crazy. Yeah. I'm curious now in hindsight what... Um, guess what Parnassus budget was I mean knowing that Lionsgate backed it though so that's an American studio ah 25 30 okay guess what Close. it boxed at the box office 12 64.4 wow box office success Heath Ledger it, that's Heath Ledger post death release yeah exactly yep. uh, I'm curious now zero theorem 8.5 to 13 million dollar budget. He must have gone over somewhere. Oh, Guess wow. what a box? Uh, <laughs> probably 1.2. My God. <laughs> uh, let's see. Tideland. Canadian dollars. It specifically see, says Canadian dollars. Oh my God. 19 million dollars in Canadian money. Box office. Guess. Two. 566,000. <laughs> Holy cow! Uh, Brothers Grimm. I don't. I have no idea. I haven't seen it, so I wouldn't. Eighty-eight even know how million dollar budget. Wow. Box office. Ten. One hundred and five million. Wow. That's a. That's a, like a Matt Damon. Pretty acclaimed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've never. How this whole time I've not looked at any of his budgets before. Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Eighteen million dollar budget. Yeah. million box office. Almost almost broke even, yeah. Then that's Johnny Depp and Nico Del Toro, so. Yeah. Uh, 12 Monkeys. 
Ooh, this one's probably. What do you think the budget was? It's. It. I don't think it's going to be that high. Twenty nine point five million. Okay. Yeah. Guess what the box office was? Uh, this was a success, so it's probably going to be around ninety. Hundred sixty eight million. Holy cow! Almost double. So he's had a couple, couple big ones. Uh, Brazil, fifteen million dollar budget, only a nine point nine million dollar. Yeah, but that's just it's over got a cult time. classic. Yeah. yeah. Time Bandits. This is a big gross. Five million dollar budget. $42 million wow. uh, net. And then there is no budget for Jabberwocky. Or, We're just doing stuff for free now. Okay, so here's another one. Uh, the, la- the first one on here, first one with the budget, uh, Monty Python, The Holy Grail. $400,000 budget, $5 million gross. But no, uh, yeah, I never really looked at that. So yeah, the man who killed Don Quixote, uh, sixteen million dollar euros, or sixteen million euros. Yeah. So there's there's why that doesn't look so great, Tom. We so. should do that. Like when we hit our next director, like that's gonna because that's that is a big factor whenever you talk mm-hmm. about a collection of movies that someone has put out, like a box office success, like the margin and all the stuff that goes into it. That that matters. So that I think we should remember that in talking in the future. Yeah, so it said that when he started working on this film in yeah. 1989, uh, he entered pre-production with a budget of 32 million American dollars wow. with 21st Century Fox backing it. Um, or 21st, it would have, well, I guess would have turned in 20, Fox. Yeah. 20th century, it would have been 20th Century Fox, I guess. Um, but difficulties such as set equipment being destroyed by flooding, departure of the first Quixote, Due to illness, problems obtaining insurance for the production, other financial difficulties led to the suspension of the first making. And then you go into, then that's when they started making the documentary of Lost in La Mancha. Um, but no, yeah, the movie itself, uh, yeah, his descent into madness was brilliant. I love that it was, you know, foreshadowed the end at the beginning. I love movies that do that. You yeah. saw Robert, Robert Price, Jonathan Price's character's descent. Then you see Adam Driver fall into that same descent of madness. Um, it just for me, I loved I loved like the side characters. Like I love Stellan Skarsgård's mm-hmm. character as his like demented boss. Yeah, uh, he 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 was great, and the girlfriend was nuts. And I liked the <laughs> what was the uh, Indian dude's name? I was gonna say I enjoyed the uh, the production Oscar assistant. Janata. Uh production assistant. Which one? There were two. Yeah, the gypsy Oscar Janata. I what was his role exactly? Whose side was he on? He is so in the the press or press release is Gilliam's thing. Yeah, he's supposed to be kind of like a just a chaos like, and a, a chaos like a, agent, like a Jiminy. Yeah, like an agent of chaos. Gotcha. Like he's just kind of oh, okay, kind of like a kind of like a demon. Okay, I guess <laughs> gotcha. kind of he's just there to cause issues for all sides. Yeah, um, uh, I like that character. I like I was, his character. Yeah, I was just I was confused for a minute. It adds a lot of intrigue to, yeah. to 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 the film too. I thought um, you're saying about Jason Watkins. His assistant. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was fun. Um, So yeah, The Man Who Killed Don Quixote is interesting. It's sure. probably one of his more, it's like you said, it's his most straightforward films in a lot of way, but to me, it's also because of its straightforward nature, the curveballs that come through it are yeah. like, whoa, extra landed for me. So like, I, I really enjoyed this film. I've seen it once before. I saw it a few years ago. Loved it then. Yeah. Loved it even more a second time now because I've seen all these other Gilliam films. Uh-huh. And Unlike the Fisher King, where I said the Fisher King so far feels like the least Gilliam film of all the Gilliam films to me. This one's the second closest to that. 
but when the Gilliam stuff shines through, it shines through hard. Yeah, I I think it's ironic. This is probably the third for sure that I can remember where this movie has ended with our main character just completely disassociating from reality. What's the zero theorem? And Brazil. Brazil in this. Yeah. And technically Parnassus too. Yes, and Parnassus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just it's really weird. Um, it's a weird thing to kind of focus on. But I, I enjoyed I I thought it worked best in this mm -hmm. one. Um, because kind of like the symbolism behind it. Um I loved, you know, Don Quixote, like the idea of Don Quixote. Um, how Jonathan Price's version of mm -hmm. him, like um I, I was watching like you you know it's he he thinks it's because of obviously something mental and yeah, he thinks he's a loony. Yeah, there's yeah. no restoration in that. And he kind of feels bad about it. Like that's kind of the thing. Yes. The reason he's trying to help him out, he feels bad. Well, first of all, he, his life is not what he wanted it to be, so he's like gonna take it on this righteous course. Like yeah. What in their movie we watched together where they this was kind of the thing he felt bad about? It's Fisher King, yeah. Jeff Bridges' character. So yeah. similar morality theme here. Yeah. He feels bad about because of his life. He's like, well, maybe if I help him, maybe help my fortunes is kind of the vibe I got from him. Yeah. And then he ends up very similar to the Fisher King. Yeah. I'm uh, telling you, this is a trend for Gilliam. Love, I love it though. Man, sticks true to Just make one movie and make it work. <laughs> nah, <laughs> keep giving me Terry Gilliam. I just give it to me. I but I I liked how they wrapped it up with uh with Toby because I mean that that is Don Don Quixote like living forever do you think Angelica stays with him yeah absolutely right by his side yeah okay good because I think yeah was that was Jonathan Price's wife that old lady who tried to shock him yeah that was shocking him yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I have it here so casted in role not rumored to be casted in role in the history of this film as Toby was um, Johnny Depp Ewan McGregor, Jack O'Connell, and Robin Williams. I was wrong. I thought Robin Williams was Kyoto. He was cast as Adam Driver's character, Toby. That wouldn't have worked. I wouldn't have liked that. Yeah, I wouldn't have liked uh, that. I would have liked him as a Don Quixote. So though. Robin Williams was first, then Johnny Depp for the longest time, actually got to the set to play him, and then it fell through. That then sucks. Ewan McGregor, then Jack O'Connell. Wouldn't have liked Jack O'Connell in role. I don't remember him off the top of my head. This guy? Yeah. I don't remember what he's been in that I've seen. Um. Anyway, uh, Quixote. Yeah. Uh, John Cleese. Love that. Uh, Jean Rochefort. Um, don't know who that is, but Michael Palin, Robert yeah. Duvall. That would have been good. Yeah. Uh, John Hurt. And uh, Jonathan Price. My only thing is Jonathan Price. Price was actually cast in the original production as another character yeah i jonathan price it feels like a stretch for him to be a spaniard mm -hmm. yeah um, but he nailed it he did yeah his accent was much better here than it was in the baron the it, adventures of baron it Munchausen. Was. <laughs> it was um but i i did thought i i did think he played it really well um i enjoyed that that was probably the best part of that movie for me was just jonathan price yeah, I uh very much a fan of this film. Very much a fan of all the actors. I thought the cast worked together. I definitely am going to have to watch He Dreams of Giants. Uh, yeah. I probably would like to watch the other one too, but He Dreams of Giants is seems to be much I, more. I would have enjoyed this movie a lot more if the first and probably the first half of the second act mm -hmm. had been cleaned up a little bit more or or like sped up a little bit more. I don't know how to explain it. I don't know what exactly didn't work. 
but it just didn't hold my attention. But the moment, man, the moment that they were picked up and brought back to the castle, like I was in, um, and everything after that just worked for me. Um, so I'm looking at the red carpet premiere pictures. Oh God. Terry, for, you get, you know, you have Adam Driver, Jonathan Price, Stellan Skarsgård. They're all looking away. Yep. Noah. There's Terry Gilliam. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Yeah, Whoa. it's Terry Gilliam. I mean, I love to work with Terry Gilliam. I think that would be a great time. Uh, so, where are you now with a rating, star rating for Terry Gilliam? Now that you, we've seen 10 Terry Gilliam films, we only have a handful left to go. Where are you at with Terry? Four. We only have two weeks left? Yeah, still four. Oh, what's next? Oh, uh, we got Brothers Grimm still. No, no, no. I, I had it written down. Yeah, tell me about your rating. I'll try to find what's next. Yeah, I mean, Four Stars mainly just because of the innovation behind mm-hmm. all of his films. Um, Gilliam is is a guy that that knows um, his his you know the story that he wants to tell. He doesn't deviate from that. Um, so I can respect that. I don't have to always enjoy it. Yep. And so, but. I I appreciate the art and craft behind almost everything that I've seen of his so far. Yeah. And for that, I, I can leave it at four and be happy with it. I am in the same camp. I'm between a four and four and a half. Um, yeah. He's definitely not a five star. I mean, in my heart of hearts from just content wise and imagination, it's like five for me, but like in terms of quality of film all, all around, I'm, I'm probably at a four and a half right now. Yeah. Um, these last few, I think, are only going to make it solidified a four and a half. I don't think... So next week, we have Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and Brothers Grimm. Um, the week after that is Monty Python, The Holy Grail, and Jabberwocky. Yeah, I think I have a potential of really... So is it Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas? Is that Depp? It's Johnny Depp and Benico Del Toro and Tobey Maguire. Yeah, and, like I I got a feeling I'm going to love that. movie's wild, dude. Like it's one of my... I've seen this movie four or five times. Yeah. Um, now, granted, I was in high school, so I just thought this was like the ultimate, like, because it's all about a drug trip. Yeah. Just do two dudes, Benico Del Toro and Johnny Depp are on a drug road trip, and it's just them doing drugs the whole movie. It's yeah. insane. Like, I'm I'm literally been sitting here each week when we talk about these movies trying to think about how this relates to Gilliam's films, and I can't remember. Okay. Like, so... Now, granted, I didn't watch them with that semblance yeah, in they, mind. Yeah, they weren't. I was like, wow, this is a drug movie. I <laughs> love it. That is great. <laughs> you know, I'd watch these higher drunk, you know, so I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, so I'm very interested to see how actually really both of these movies, because Brothers Grimm is Brothers Grimm. Like, you know, the Brothers Grimm, Grimm fairy tales, who wrote all the Grimm, like all the fairy tales we know. Yeah, I know that's, the I know the the lore, I guess, behind. That's based on it's a basically imagine that Terry Gilliam going to that universe. Gotcha. So we may be done with the Gilliam. I think these last, because you got Monty Python, the Holy Grail, and Jabberwocky. Those are more Monty Python comedies bits. Yeah. Um. So Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and Brothers Grimm. I'm not sure these two might be a little bit of a departure from what we've been used to. So you might end on a high note with these. Yeah. Now Brothers Grimm is universally shit on. So really? Uh, oh yeah. I mean, Just it did good at the box wise. office. It did get the backs off. Backs office. Backs office. They got the backs office, but uh. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Brothers Grimm. Letterboxed 2.6. Okay. Yeah. It's not, not encouraging. Uh, it says eliminating evil since 1812. 
folklore collectors and con artists Jake and Will Grimm travel from village to village pretending to protect townsfolk from enchanted creatures and performing exorcisms. However, they are put to the test and they encounter real magical curse in a haunted forest with real magical beings require genuine courage. So, sounds like right in my alley, though. I'm excited. Yeah, we'll and see. And you get a, we get a young, you were a Game of Thrones guy, right? Yeah. We get Cersei Lannister. She's the third build character. Oh, here. God. Uh, and then Peter Stormare. You always know a movie's going to be crazy if he's in there. Uh, and then Monica Bellucci, Mackenzie Crook, who plays the guy from uh, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean with the one eye. Okay. Jonathan Price. We get another Jonathan Price out in here. Sign me up. Um, trying to see if there's anybody else crazy in this film. That's mostly it, it looks like. Some other names are recognized, but uh, yeah. But Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, bro. I'm really excited to give that another another little go. I have it at four and a half stars on here. That one is a three point seven overall. Yeah. So so much higher on the on, on the on the scale. I don't think Jonathan Price is in uh, Fear and Loathing. Doesn't look like it. No. Nope. 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 He's not. Uh, but you get Johnny Depp, Benicio del Toro, Tobey Maguire, Christina Ricci. Gary Busey, Cameron Diaz, Mark Harmon, Michael Jeter. Oh, Michael Jeter back. Uh, Penn Gillette from Penn and Teller. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers. We'll have a great time. I'm very excited. Uh, and we get another uh, short man. We get Vern Toyer. He's back from Parnassus. Love it. So, um, Unless you have anything else for uh, Terry Gilliam review this week, uh, let's jump into the Oscars. Let's do it. All right. First of all, let's talk about just the the broadcast itself. Uh, so the viewership was up. Uh, we had eighteen point seven million viewers yep. this week. Uh, I think that's eight, nine, ten more. I can't remember what it was. Something more than last year. So that's good. Yeah. Um, I still felt the show had something to be lack. It was a little lacking itself. I thought Kimmel did a pretty good job. Yeah. Uh, I just found it to be a bit boring. Now, in in some in some ways, sure. Um. Now, granted, I don't know. I mean, you're we're following the slap, so yeah. You know. I I thought beginning of this show was great. Um, I didn't realize this. I because, love that he dragged Tom Cruise and James Cameron out the gate. Well, I didn't realize this um, until after hearing some other people talk about it. Um, but the intro of uh, Kimmel flying in the plane and then mm-hmm. being dropped in that was a callback to. I think a '94 Oscars, uh, Billy Crystal. Uh, okay, was I think I've seen that. Yeah, and so because I mean, it would have been whenever Top Gun or something, or whatever mm-hmm. the year that Top Gun would have been released. Um, so that was cool. I thought his opening monologue was was great. I mean, Kimmel's like Kimmel was the safest bet. Hey, he's done them before, yeah. Yes, yeah, and uh, so it, I thought it was a, a safe bet. Um, loved the the call out for Cruz and. Uh, James Cameron, like, Jim. hey, these people begged you to come to the movies or go to the theater, but they're not in the theater. Yes. Um, yeah, that was that was fantastic. But, I mean, I think that was an early sign of... Granted, Tom Cruise could have just been working on Dead Reckoning, which, you know, no none the better. Um, but, yeah, I thought it was I thought it was fine. The first half, um, I will say I put an AirPod in and listened for the next hour after say the best supporting actor. Yeah. Cause when, you know, the last of us came on, I was watching that. Oh, during the Oscars. Yeah. Oh no, I but didn't. I, was, I, I, I waited. Was, I was two timing. Like I was, I was multitasking. See, I can't do that. If I can I'm do watching. That. Well, especially if I'm watching a show, like I couldn't watch yeah. the last of us and watch something else. Yeah. 
I'm I'm I I was zoned in. Um, so all the technical stuff that was being announced, uh, some of the performances and all that for the Oscars, I was I wasn't totally focused on. What was your so from the Oscar standpoint? What was your biggest take? What was your biggest surprise of the night? Uh, how short it was. Um, I mean like the show. Granted, it wasn't super short. It it felt shorter. I think part of it was a lot of it was just bullet point. Like the presenters didn't have a ton of time to just, you know, make jokes or whatever. Hugh Grant had a great line. Speaking of, let's lotion. just go ahead and talk about Hugh Grant for a minute because, I love it. oh boy, uh, pissed some people off. He's been the subject of just quite a bit of discussion. Yeah. Um, did you watch the interview with the I girl missed, from Variety? I missed it in I missed real it live. time. I watched yeah. it after yeah. the fact. Um, so everybody's running Hugh Grant down right now for being a dick. Air quotes. I'm doing, you know, yes. dick to this reporter. Yeah. Um, I watched it back. Do you know, do you know Ashley Graham? No. Okay. Well, Abby probably does because she probably has watched some, uh, some tell. Ashley Graham was, is, I guess, a supermodel, was mm-hmm. a, a model, a uh, plus size model. Uh, my wife knows her from plus size. She wasn't yeah. fat. No, I mean like a plus size. Like I bet that whole conversation. If people are yeah. like woke, people listen to me right now. Like, plus size doesn't mean fat. <laughs> Andy called me woke. No, she Cancel. was on. She was on uh, America's Next Top Model. Maybe I can't remember one of the two. But anyways, Caitlin, my wife has 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 known her forever. So I've known of Ashley Grant for a long time. Yeah. Uh, so she does the whole social media influencing stuff now. She's had kids, all that stuff. Uh, first time though, red carpet, you know, interview or whatever you would label that. Uh, she was not well equipped to interview hardly anybody. I felt no. like I did, did not do, did not do great. And then you throw in someone like Hugh Grant, who is just a freaking like shark. Yeah. Like, the moment he sees an opening, I, I don't think it's like, yes, Hugh Grant is, has the reputation of kind of being a dick. But when people say like just ignorant things. Yeah. And it's not that I think this is just a bad thing for everybody because her questions were fine, but are you they, looking up the questions no. or something? Okay. Um, her questions were fine. They just were very, very, very basic, generic. Yeah, and like it's because her first question didn't hit. Well, and when and then after that, instead of it didn't hit, like she just completely missed. Like she, she, she asks him in a, in a sense of like, what's it like being out here for the first time in a long time or something like that, and he makes a comment of like, it's vogue or in vogue or or something along the lines, and and she, I don't know if it's because she didn't understand through the accent or just wasn't paying attention, but she's like, oh yeah, because Vogue is sponsoring the party, and he just like completely yeah. just like, what the heck is this? And, um, and from there on out, I think he, I think he was toying with her a little bit. Oh yeah, like it's just it was blood in the water. But he didn't care. He doesn't care. That's the no. thing. He does. He doesn't care. He doesn't have to care. So, I don't know. I I thought the whole thing was pretty damn funny. To Other be than that, though, red carpet was bore boring. I didn't watch any of the red carpet this year because Selection Sunday was on. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I, I was glad that they didn't overrun with each other because I already had enough of the stress of the Last of Us and trying to avoid spoilers. While I was looking at Twitter for <laughs> exactly. Oscar stuff too. That's I can't um, avoid spoilers, so I just had to watch it. <laughs> I I managed to thankfully. Um. Anyway, yeah, I love the Hugh Grant thing. Were there controversies? Were there any other real controversies like pre-show? 
The Lady nothing, Gaga thing happened. So Lady pre-show. Gaga wasn't even supposed to perform. Uh, she they found out less than like six or something hour. I thought it was an hour. Everybody said an hour beforehand. Is but, that that's officially being reported? Yeah, it was a. Uh, they now it's come out. There was twelve hours. She had she gave them twelve hours. Like, hey, I've decided I'm going to perform. And up until an hour before the Oscars went live, they were still working on how I to plug that in. I don't believe that, man. Because five of all of the Oscar nominated, like best mm-hmm. sound, were or original song yeah. performed. She wasn't slated to perform originally. That I don't believe that's Lady Freaking Gaga. She said because this is, it's been all. I mean, you can look it up now. I, like they said because she told people because of her role and the Joker too, she needed to stay in character. So she wasn't going to do this, you know, do the big elaborate set. I I wonder if Tom Cruise backing out, like maybe that pushed her being there. Maybe. But yeah, apparently she wasn't planning on. No, I think she was going to be at the Oscars, just not do anything where she had to like. Sure. Get out of character necessarily. Um, And her performing as Lady Gaga would definitely do that. So take that into context and watch her performance. It was definitely not a normal Lady Gaga performance. And it was also a very stripped down version of the song too. I think that song though, like it was in a live setting like that. It was only ever going to be good. Yeah. I thought actually I was a little underwhelmed. So let's, let's talk about songs then. Not too, not too baby. Yeah. Let's just start there. And honestly, all the performances that we saw. Yeah. No, I I thought not too, not too was going to, because Okay, the one from Everything Ever All at Once was ass. That I was lo- so bad. I loved no, it. No, bro. Abby, I mean, Abby was looking it. at me the whole time going, this no. is awful. And I did too. I was like, this sucks ass. That was ass. my favorite I, performance. No, I hated it. I thought it was awful, and I thought they sounded I, terrible. No, listen, whenever they announced they were performing, I was like, how You're in the world? You're a David Byrne guy, though, too, though, right? How, I, I mean, maybe. I, uh, the point being, like, whenever they announced they were performing, I was like, How? I didn't I didn't remember like a big Me neither. I don't remember any of that being in but, the film. But the moment they started singing, I was like, oh yeah, this is like it's, the final the yeah. big thing at the end. I remembered it enough, but not the other songs are much more intri- like, uh, integral to me to the film. See, I loved Not to Not to and I loved RR. Um that performance though, it it just did not have the same effect. And I don't blame them. Not to not to? Yeah. I don't blame them. I thought they should have just had because they knew they weren't going to win any awards. They should have had the main two actors just come up and do it again. Oh yeah, but they were probably like, "F that!" Exactly. Absolutely not. I think though the uh, the editing goes a long ways for a performance like that, mm-hmm. and you're not going to get that in a live performance. No, absolutely not. And it, it, I, I I still enjoyed it more than I enjoyed the um, Lady Gaga performance. I enjoyed it more than the Everything Everywhere All at Once performance. I was like, oh man, this is going to be the most fun. Then Rihanna came out and just stunned me. Yeah, Rihanna her, was amazing. Her, Rihanna was just great. Um, the first one, I, I don't even know what movie it was. Yeah. I have no idea. I don't either. I mean, I could look it up, but I don't remember what it was either. Yeah, so so that, in order from least to best, it would have been that one that we just mentioned. I cannot remember the actually, name. Actually, no, I thought everything ever all at once was the worst. Oh no, that was that by, was by the best. By that a wide was the best. No, it was terrible, and they sounded terrible. Like Stephanie Shu, like she killed it. No, In she actually didn't. Like, I uh, she looked great, but no, I thought she was awful. This is something other than your auto tune pop punk. Excuse me, <laughs> you heard me. I don't just listen to pop punk. <laughs> I listen to some guttural screaming. You leave me alone. Uh... <laughs> My Carrera does not auto tune. Okay, you leave my man out of this. Uh, Every listen, everybody auto tunes. No one auto to some degree. 
Yeah, you got some something flying something over. Flying. That was like the second time. Uh, I know I'm adding my... So so we're not just blindsided when we go to do our Oscar predictions. Okay. I've been adding them to a mostly film list. Oh, God. Uh, so I can get the directors and cast as we start drafting these. Okay. Otherwise, it was just going to be my list of names. You'd be like, well, what is this film? And yeah. I'd be like, I don't know. Let me pull it up. <laughs> so we've been talking. I've been adding these uh, adding these as we go. Um, so in terms of winning, Everything Everywhere All at Once won yeah. seven Oscars. The uh, Still not all, the record. No, All Quiet on the Western Front won four. Yeah. And The Well won two. So those are the biggest winners of the night. Yeah. What's your immediate take on that? Uh, well, hang on. Let me let me add to that. Babylon got shut out. Yeah. Fableman's got shut out. Banshee's got Elvis shut out. got shut out. Banshee's got shut out. And Tar got shut yeah. out. And you you said it too. And I mean, I, me and Abby noticed. Oh, maybe not Abby. I don't remember if I told her or not, but I did. T- Todd Field. Yeah. Was, he was over. It. He was pissed. Pissed all night long. And I'm not so sure he doesn't have some reason to be. But first off, let's just talk about... I don't think Todd Fields is... Like, Todd Fields is kind of pretentious. Yeah, I... I mean, oh. he made a movie that was pretty much laid that out there. Yeah, you're not wrong. But I, I, I also... Man. Okay, I, I gotta wait. I gotta wait. So, let's... Before we get super far off on the the nomination wins and all that stuff... Yeah. The, the Oscar show... Like what worked for you? Presentation, host, uh, jokes, like commercial placement. Like I didn't care about the commercial placement. I was me and Abby got um. So the Oscars for me are like Super Bowl level fun, yeah. and sometimes unless my Rams are playing, I they don't did really a care. freaking flyover, man. Yeah, I didn't care like, about it, that. It either. was Super Bowl. Well, yeah, you know what I'm saying like I for don't... me, like getting up for it. Like so, I we got Domino's pizza wings yeah. and breadsticks last night. Cheesy spinach. Yeah, bread. it was great. So I was like lit about that, and I. Uh, so I was getting up and down during the commercial, so I didn't really see anything of note for yeah. me. Um, the skit, this well skit, the sketch bits with J- uh, Jimmy Kimmel all mostly landed for me. Yeah, um, I didn't have any issues with Jimmy Kimmel. I thought he did a pretty good job, but it wasn't memorable. I needed more Jimmy. Um, yeah, we I, had the we had the first portion on, up until like Best Supporting Actress, and then we didn't see him again till after the cocaine bear. Yeah, I was, I was literally about to say like. It's kind of, I think it's a bad thing that I remember Cocaine Bear wanting to do about any of the other bits. Yes. Uh, which I, I, I'm glad Cocaine Bear was there because honestly, that movie was a lot of fun and I'm glad to see something weird get yeah. besides everything. I mean, I don't mean that in a bad way, but like just fun cinema show yeah. up. Um, so, so that, that was good. But yeah, I, I, I guess I just wanted more sketch, I guess. Like I just felt, and they added more awards than normally have. Yeah. Uh, they were categories. all back in there. Yeah. So you had to get that in there. Um, but it also almost just felt like a slog at times. I will say what helped me, what helped me feel like it was moving along quicker that I helped that, um, that I hope that they will continue to do in, in them adding those other different categories that mm-hmm. would have otherwise been just done off screen or whatever. Yeah. Um, is they kind of, whenever the presenters come out, they have an example of, of kind of what that cut what goes into that category um like i i really enjoyed the michael b jordan and uh jonathan, jonathan majors. majors yep where they're talking about jonathan cinematography is a superstar dude like, like we he, talked about last episode and when we talked about creed like jonathan majors just overshadows michael b jordan yep he really 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 does I mean, and 
in anybody he's next to. Like, yeah. even sitting in the crowd, like, it's like, dang, this dude just, this dude's just, set, he's just set apart yeah. from the rest. So, but they, they, whenever they talk about cinematography and like the different camera angles, like that is the type of stuff that like, I'm all, like, when I watch a movie, that's what I think about. That's what I take in. That's what draws yep. me into a film. Agreed. Um, but at the same time, they're the type of things that an average movie watcher, it draws them in, but they don't know why it draws them in. Like, that's the whole point of it. So watching it with my wife and a friend, the, the Oscars, and they're explaining this stuff, seeing that kind of click for them, that that brings people into movies. So the Oscars on brand are kind of just like a like a get together party type thing and and you just kind of just look at celebrities well kind of explaining this this stuff behind the scenes type stuff i think educates people in a way that we kind of need uh, so i enjoyed that so here's my question yeah you, you just said something that made me think about educating people on the thing we need and this is off subject from what we're talking. It's Oscar subject, yeah. but more of a head of what you're thinking about. But like my biggest issue with this Oscars tonight or, you know, Monday, Sunday night, whatever. Mm -hmm. It felt in some ways like a return to form of like a classic, like you said, the, the Billy Crystal opening, like Jimmy Kimmel was a great host for that reason. Yeah. But in a lot of ways, I feel like we took some steps back. And a man was assaulted on stage last year. There no, was no, 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 there was no, 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 no more no, no, no. steps back. No, not, not nothing to do with that. <laughs> and like a lot of the like, I took some screenshots today, and I'm like, from like this is from a major pundit. Okay. And here's what they say: seeing a lot. I'm not going to say their names. Seeing a lot of people incensed at Spielberg losing and assuming Scorsese will next year. And the truth is, both have already won with ironclad legacies and a widening. And widening the spotlight to celebrate new voices and newer generations is not such yeah. a bad thing. As much as I'd love to see Spielberg and Scorsese celebrated for the staggering output in their twilight years, the truth is they don't need the Oscars. They'll continue to get blank checks to do what they want. Yeah, I... I Sorry, I was... I'm not, no, I, I was strolling to the next one. Um, they know they're cherished. New voices who are who benefit the most um, are where should we should be focusing. Francis McDormand infamously advocated for passing the baton to the next generation of filmmakers, actors as well, and truly cannot imagine Spielberg or Muscazy wouldn't feel the same way. Um, and then a lot of other pundits got in and said, absolutely, this is where sure. it's headed. If that's where it's headed, I'm done with Oscars. Well, I, I have some very strong opinions on that. It's basically, to me, the epitome, the epitome of a participation trophy. Like, okay, yeah. if it's not about the best winning, then let's not call it the Oscars anymore and best picture, best actor, because if, if that's where their mindset is, which that is 1000% why Jamie Lee Curtis won that award last night. She, <laughs> it was a lifetime achievement Oscar. 1000% sure. Yeah. I kind of see it that way. Yeah. And she wasn't even the best supporting actress in her own movie in that category. Yeah, Stephanie, Stephanie Shue was better. Stephanie Shue was much in, better. In order of who should have won, should have been Angela Bassett, followed by Carrie Condon, Followed by either a tie between Hong Chow and Stephanie Hsu, followed by Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. And I love the Queen. I love Jamie Lee Curtis. She's amazing. I yeah. I would love to meet Jamie Lee Curtis and hang out with Jamie Lee Curtis. She's she, great. She has done a lot for lesser genres. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, and she's been better at performances than yes. this. Like, yeah. Her was a fun performance. It shouldn't have been nominated for an Oscar to begin with. Yeah. No way. Her winning, let alone, that's my biggest shock of the night. And it pissed me off. Yeah. Like Angela Bassett not clapping 
for her. Have you seen all that? Yeah. It made me a little irritated at Angela Bassett, but I'm also like, the more I've thought about it, like, I get it. She knows why she won that award. And it's same reason I just read, like, what they're complaining about Scorsese and Spielberg. Like, they've won enough. They don't need to win anymore. Let's let other people win. Yeah. What's the, it tarnishes the, what an Oscar is. Like, if I'm Spielberg, I would have come and respond to this and be like, no, I'm pissed off. Let, but see, he's not going to do that. Now, so, someone like Scorsese might. So let me just, I, I hear you and I understand. Um, I'm sure, I, I don't know how much of that could really be, like, I, I think everything everywhere probably deserved a lot of the a praise lot, that it got. The Some of it, yeah, some of it, no. The writing was on the wall after the Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, so after that first 40 minutes and then she's announced, I was like, okay, let's wrap it up. Whenever their nomin when other nominations were brought up that they're in, I was like, well, I could see where such and such could win this over it. But at this point, I'm not surprised. And then sure enough, they win. Um, to your point though, I, I, if I don't, I, I don't understand why people don't submit to these type like or uh, submit's not the right word, but like apply for these awards. Yeah. Um. Granted, I don't think production companies and all that stuff are going to greenlight this stuff if they don't get the opportunity to be celebrated and awarded. Right. Um. Because I mean, I think we can talk about this more a little bit later, but like a twenty four, like in their first ten years as a company mm. have completely in some ways changed a lot. No, oh, yeah. Of, by, A24 is who I'd want to partner with for anything. It, it, like, yeah. And not just because of their like hot streak, like because of what they foster as now they, they granted, know how to campaign. Now, granted, I will say some of their more recent outings, they're getting a little to me, maybe a little too broad. I think they need to maybe tighten up a little before they get a yeah. little too broad. Like I look at Firestarter. Uh, for sure. instance, with Zac Efron, there was another one that, like, this Unseen movie that came out. Like, they're sponsoring some weirder, smaller, but yeah. more, to me, what I call more cliched films, which I don't think works for them. I think they need to go back to embracing the weird and the bold, like everything, everywhere, all at once, like th those type of films. Um, Mother with Jennifer Lawrence, you know, those earlier ones yeah. they did. Um, more experimental. Is that your stomach? Yeah. I didn't know it was Luna at first. That's why I paused. I was like, wow. <laughs> right um, so, yeah, I don't know. I just... um. So you're saying people, if they want to be nominated, they should nominate themselves? Like if if someone like a Spielberg or a Scorsese, no, we probably know they wouldn't, but like if if they really did, were if they really were okay with not being, being overlooked, yeah, being passed they up. Wouldn't, that's the thing, though. They wouldn't. I, they, exactly. I that, know. That's why I hate this mindset. Like, you know, they can't come out and say that because that's not how it works. Now, if it was like that, they'd I, say it. But I know, but they, so the Oscar nominating or the uh, awards, I forget the actual word, but the field was opened up more. So mm -hmm. more people could vote. I know. Um, yeah. So, which is good and bad. <sighs> I'm just, I'm just saying, I think everything everywhere all at once. Yeah. Best picture. Yeah. And I want to pause before we, I, I, love everything everywhere all at once yeah it is my type of movie it is weird it is out there i thought it was fantastic it's one of my all-time favorite films probably not like top five or anything but it's up there like i yeah. love that movie and it deserves a lot of the praise however as a 
this is where my nitpick grabs. It's less about the movie, more about just the principle. The Oscars for me is is historically represented an achievement in filmmaking. Yeah. The Tar is a less enjoyable movie. Okay. Is a better quality film to me in terms of what (laughs) makes a film. Okay. Fablemans would have won, been my choice. For best picture. Wow. Personally. Yeah. No. And the one that should have won didn't even get nominated. Babylon was the best picture that I saw <laughs> last year in terms of No, seriously. Overall I enjoyed quali- it, but no, overall quality of the film is better than everything everywhere yeah. all at once. By a long shot to me. Well, just it's no, it's subjective. Yes. But when I look at film and when I look at the Oscars specifically, yeah. the Fablemans, Babylon, and something is funky with the hate for Babylon. I don't get that. Like the not getting shut out is one thing because it wasn't nominated for one, like two things, but not getting like any major noms is weird to me for that. Well, the Babylon stuff, it it was some, I think it was some Paramount or was it Paramount, whoever whoever it was that backed them. I don't remember. Um, I I I just think there was some early on production company like vibes that this probably wasn't going to do well. The, the late release didn't help either. No, that, that never helps um, with any of them. So yeah, I don't know, man. But yeah, it something sucks. about just everything everywhere all at once. I, I When it first got nominated for an Oscar, I was thrilled. Yeah, I But t- in my head, I was like, it's not going to win. No. But like, part of me, like the Daniels, like if I was making a movie, that's what I'd want to make my movie. Like, yeah. But I wouldn't expect it to win an Oscar. So like, I'm really torn on one hand. I love that movies like Everything Everywhere All at Once are going to get national recognition. Yeah. And this movie's so highly reviewed. Now Oscar warning. And like, I want people like the, like I want the Jordan Pills and the Zach Craigers from Barbarian and now the Daniels. I want them to keep making movies and get the budget for their movies. They're like, to me, passing the torch. Terry Gilliam type yeah. people passing the torch, you know. I want them making my future movies. However, if this is now going to be where the Oscars is heading, then... I need it to be somehow different because I, like, I really don't think it's going to be the case. I think this was a rare case where I think this saw, is political. Yeah, no, I do. I really okay. do. I'm not trying to put okay. my grandpa hat on here. I really <laughs> okay. do though. Political in the sense of like, there are people that, that are politicking to make things happen. Yes. Or, okay. Not, I think that not like red versus blue. Like no, 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 yeah, no, I, no, 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 who cares if well, it's the best person that wins? Who like Kate Blanchett should have beat Michelle Yao, I and I rewatched everything everywhere all at once. Yeah, like should have, and it's not honestly. I'm gonna be. I'm, I'm gonna say it. It's not close in terms of now. Second running up, Michelle Yao. Michelle Yao. Yeah. Now, I can make some arguments about why, from a pure acting standpoint, no. But for overall film, everything around it, yeah, sure. I. I, I I'm fine with her being second to Kate Blanchett in that, but it's not even close to me. Kate Blanchett to Michelle Yao. Yeah. And I, and I love Michelle Yao and I like some of her other films and I think she's a great person and I'm glad for the history made, but that's why she got the damn award. Yeah. It's because of the history that was made and the Oscars viewer, the Oscars was at a critical point. If they'd had another bad year this year, it was always going to exist in some way, but the Oscars was going to go away. I, I don't disagree with you, but because of what happened this year, 
they did just enough to satiate the young generation and play to the what I call the politics and the race baiting war that's going on just yeah. to buy them some time. Yeah. Michelle Yao, I'm happy for her. She didn't deserve the damn award. Well, listen. In terms of who she was going up against. I, I told you whenever we were texting about this the other night, I, because you kind of said the same thing, I think we'll look back 10 years from now. Yeah. And this will be the movie that we think about. Tar is amazing. We'll, we'll, we might rewatch that. See, I've seen people Fable making the o- opposite argument. They're really? saying in 10 years from now, everything ever all at once will be like, hey, that was a fun flash in the pan, but the mem- the movies that are like, make the sight and sound list, yeah, that's going to be Tar. That's going to be the Fablemans. That's going to be Babylon. That's going to be, uh, oh, there's another one, Banshees of Inishirin. Yeah, Those are going to be your timeless films. Everything ever all at once is a cultural thing. That won't be a test of time film. Well, and, and there's always been movies like this but, that have, but sh- there is, but there is the multiverse side of it where you've, you, where you took a concept that has not been handled well in movies recently, recently. That's what I'm saying. This film is recency well, in the past. What's done it well. I don't know. That's multiverse. There hasn't been a bunch of stuff. Exactly. 12 monkeys was like, that was the yeah. movie that set that up more time, time travel that though. set up time travel. Yeah. Um, the matrix like set up this whole mm. type of like other world, like a metaverse type of, of concept that you see play out in movies. We will have like, it gave the archetype for architecture or whatever to write a movie or story about the multiverse. Um, and I think 10 years from now, we'll look back and see all these other movies that might come out. It's like, Oh yeah. Reminds me of everything everywhere. And that, that is like, Whenever you award something, that I think that is kind of what sometimes people will lean towards. You've got your like your people that are like, this is ob-, you know, your tar, your banshees, like this is obviously culturally, like not culturally, like um, you know, cinematically, like a better film. Mm-hmm. You're like their films yeah. are better than everything everywhere. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm just saying uh, it it is is going to be a movie that we look back years from now and think oh yeah it 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 did deserve i'm ready for time to move on so i can enjoy this film more because I, dude something I, I, happened with this oscar season well, that made me dislike this movie it, a little bit and the, i love it like but i'm a little jaded about I, the oscar award season because of this i don't think you should blame just the oscars though because no it's the media man i'm sorry well like, they're fans the fans of this movie um have have been you know some key components for Kind of like well, they the pushed whole the media because you know, what? Yes, the race side baiting. of it. The last three months specifically, three months is yeah. about where it all started. It, it last year it was Oscar so white or whatever, and it was like <laughs> yes. no black representation. Yeah. This time it's like, hey, you have an Asian American led film, it better win some stuff, yeah. and then that's what pushed it. And that's what makes me so. That's what's so confusing. Like, how are you gonna do that? And not give Angela Bassett the damn award because yeah. she was obviously deserved it. And you give it to Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, like I don't know. I had some well, issues. I. I would have been fine with just a so of of all the noms that they got, the ones that I felt were the most deserving. Editing, I'm fine with editing. I don't know, man. I thought uh, what was the other ones? In Elvis, that? Um, Babylon. Uh, Babylon didn't get in for editing. They had costume design and uh, score and well, then Elvis and shoot, what was the other one? Uh, I'm going to it. Okay. Um. Oh, good, and it's got all the winners and stuff all laid out for me now. Yeah, yeah. 
Let's see, best picture, best actor. We're talking about editing. Editing. We're talking about editing. Oh, excuse wow. me, y'all. Y'all hear that? Did y'all hear that? Del Toro, my man. I'm so happy. So happy for him. Uh, shoot, they've really moved editing down. My year of dicks, baby. Costume design, editing. Everything for all at once. Top Gun Maverick, Banshees of Inisherin, Elvis, Tar. I could have seen Tar. Or but, Top Gun. But then you're if you're talking editing, Tar is, you know, something is just way too long. So mm-hmm. like that that falls in the editing. If it's if you if Not the production whole idea, design was the other Babylon uh, one. Uh so I could see where um everything everywhere like winning that makes sense. Uh, apparently the two main guys that that were responsible for that were self-taught, which I'm I'm all for. That's impressive. Uh, it's amazing. Uh so could appreciate that decision. No issue there. The supporting oh, best costume design going to Black Panther's bullshit. That was stupid. That, mm. When you have, I mean, if everything ever all at once deserved one, it would have been that. Out of that, that or Elvis or Babylon, all three, yeah, better than Black Panther. Like yeah. that was another gimme culture award right there. Bullshit. Yeah, that was dumb. Hated that. Uh, the biggest steal of the night to me was probably cinematography and production design, though. Going to All Quiet on the Western Front for both of those. Uh, oh, and I, score. Always, I I I feel like I I forget what I picked, but if I didn't pick All Quiet on the West Front, because you probably did. You agreed on me on two of the. We yeah. both were mutual on All Quiet on the Western Front. I beat you by one pick. Yeah, and it was the ones that we guest guessed on. I got lucky and got two of the three <laughs> guesses right. Uh, but anyways, uh, the point I was making earlier though, All Quiet on the uh, Jesus, uh, editing mm-hmm. made sense for me. Best supporting actor. Was a given. Given, yeah. He won every award yeah. this year, so um, and that was fine. I, I mean, he deserved that one. And I had no issue with with uh, best picture. Um, I wanted mm-hmm. Tar to win. I felt like Tar should win, but it didn't. Um, but the other ones, I just, I didn't fully, I just didn't understand. Best picture for me, if I was rating them, <laughs> it would have been probably the Fable. All Quiet on the Western Front is actually probably my best picture. Then the Fablemans, then Tar. I mean, there were, yeah, there. There were people that then everything everywhere all at once. Yeah, that's probably how I would have done it. Uh, another one that really bugged me. Well, first of all, let's talk about a good one. Let's celebrate something nice for a second. We got Kiwi. He deserved it. But the yeah. surprise a little bit. Brendan Fraser, my man, that I was upset. What? It should have been Colin Farrell. No, it should not have. It I love Colin, Colin Farrell. I love Colin Farrell. But in terms of just a pure acting performance, Brendan Fraser, man. Nailed it. Those eyebrows did more acting than <sighs> Brendan Fraser did in that fat suit. No, it wasn't even a fat suit. Did I, you see that? The fa- that blew the, my mind. The facial stuff. Yeah. He was still wearing. Yeah, the, the, the emotion. But like, I did not realize that the face yeah. stuff was all. It's the, only, it's the only way that you really would have seen, which makes sense because yeah. Brendan Fraser, like. Well, then you see Colin Farrell, though, and Batman. I mean, that's pretty impressive. That's, that's yeah. Space, so lazy <laughs> you heard me gosh you heard it here first folks but no brendan fraser after his whole story and everything that's happened to him i, yeah. I couldn't have been more happy for him to get this obviously i probably know. would have been less outraged by that if uh jamie lee curtis hadn't have gotten oh, that just, just set me off like i literally was like you fucking kidding me yeah you know i was mad i was mad <laughs> when that happened 
I actually let legitimately... was, was Abby confused? Like, where no, she wasn't watching coming? at that point right now. Okay, she quote she watched the chunk with me, but then left. Yeah, I was pretty upset, but no, I was super happy for Brendan Fraser. That was great. His speech and Kiwi's speech were so wholesome yeah. and like made me emotional. Like Kiwi's made me emotional, man. Yeah, and, well, and Jimmy Kimmel made the comment like they both starred in a movie together in Cino Man. Cino Man, like we're Paulie Shore. Like <laughs> yeah. that was great. Uh, best actress. Uh, we already discussed that. That was a little. I just, I don't have anything else to say about that. Uh, not too, not too winning was great. The acceptance speech was a little odd. It was. Uh, them singing. I'm not so sure about all that. I didn't know the reference. Did you know? No. I didn't either. Okay. I had no clue. I'm not a Carpenter fan though, so that's probably part of it. Um, best international feature wasn't a surprise to All Quiet. Um, best director, this bugged me. Um, hey, the Daniels got it. Yeah. Uh, talking about just direction of film. I mean, Spielberg should have locked this up, followed by Todd Field. Yeah. Um, then maybe a tie between McDonough, a three-way tie between McDonough or, or I Slim. was surprised that Banshees didn't win, win best screenplay. Oh, yeah. We'll get there in a minute. Um, I mean, just yeah. that, if anything, Banshees, like, yeah. deserving. So. so, yeah, I can test best director. But like I said, it's hard to... Di- I don't dislike the Daniels. I love them. They're probably my favorite of the bunch in terms of people. Yeah. They didn't deserve best director over some of the others. <laughs> they Just from the definition of direction of a film. So, I don't know. Creative... Be- um, I don't know. Whatever. I, I I sound like a hater the more I talk about it. And you I love do. this movie. But uh, Del Toro's Pinocchio, thrilled for it. Uh, didn't really have a contest. If Marcel would have won, I would have lost my mind. I will have lost my mind. Uh, best original score. That was a huge surprise to me. All Quiet on the Western really? Front winning that. I didn't think it stood oh. a chance. I thought, I honestly thought that Babylon had that locked up as the one thing it would win, followed by the Fablemans with John Williams. I thought those would be mm-hmm. one, two, and then everything, or uh, yeah. then All Quiet on the no, Western Front. No, All Quiet, like movies like that, he's just freaking every time they got announced that, that three note trombone. I know, like, and people have been crapping on it, but. Crapping on it, not oh, the people no. I was watching. Oh or, yeah, all on Twitter, like oh, oh not the oh, people you I follow. Three, three notes, bah, bah, bah. dude. It hits. I know every different. time. I was like, in each time it hits hard. It's like, oh my gosh, like I got a boner every time. It's, it's great. Uh, don't care about the documentary. Don't care about live action short. Best adapted screenplay. Your options were, women talking, living, Top Gun Maverick, Glass Onion, All Quiet on the Western Front. Women talking is so boring and pretentious. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And living, honestly, living probably should have won this. And then All Quiet on the Western Front, then Top Gun Maverick, then Glass Onion, then Women Talking. They basically quoted the book the whole damn movie. Like, yeah. It's stupid. That, that pissed me off. And that was just to give a woman screenwriter no offense, but that's the reason she won it. I don't care. I'll say what I said. <laughs> Just keep uh, my mouth shut. Yeah, say what I said. Uh, best original screenplay. It should have gone to Banshees. I mean, this one, I get everything we're all at once winning. I get it. It's original. It's probably the most original thing you could ever come up with. Yeah, but so much of that's visual. It, exactly. That's what I was about, exactly about to say. You're just reading it off paper. Banshees of Inisherin is the best screenplay out it, of the bunch. Out uh, there. My second vote would have been Tar. Tar of the Fablemans t- toss up. Oh, uh, no. No, Tar over Fablemans for sure. The Triangle of Sadness sneaky good. Yeah. It, dude, I, a lot of people there love Triangle of Sadness. It was mentioned a couple times Speaking in of the which, crowd. let's pause. Yeah. On the In Memoriam, yeah. they didn't mention Charlie Dibley. Or how do you say her last name? What's her last name from the movie Triangle of Sadness? One of them died? 
Yeah, the main girl. She's dead. What? Triangle Sadness. Do you not know this? No. Yeah, hang on. <sighs> Charlie. Dang, I, I literally said her name right earlier. How did she die? I don't remember, but she died right after it released or even her, before Yaya? it released. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Charlie, Charlie Dean. Yeah, she died, like, I think before this film released. Yep, Charlie Dean died August 29th, 2022. That's kind of sad. Dang. She wasn't mentioned in the In Memoriam. She was in the extended version, but how are you going to not have when the one cast, of the star characters of a film that's nominated for Best Picture when the cast is in in seated the in there? Maybe oh, people were hot about that. That like live miss, on that. Yeah, I missed that. I was waiting for it. I was like, "Where?" And then it got over. I was like, "I didn't know she died." Ah, wow. and people doing that Andrew Garfield meme from yeah, like <laughs> yes. like it's like you're gonna have in memoriam and not mention one of the stars from Best Picture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, they had someone else left out too. They had two big omissions that people that were represented there, they just left out. Wow. I didn't know you didn't know she died. No, I didn't. Yeah, I don't remember Dang. how she died. Yeah, she died in August. Abigail got her. Yep. Yeah, she did. Yeah. Uh, anyway, sorry. I just, we were <laughs> talking about that. It's moving on. Uh, yeah, so screenplay, I would have gone for Banshees too. Uh, best visual effects, that was a lock for Avatar. I, I butted against it and I said all quiet, but yeah. um, Avatar won. And cinematography, all quiet on the Western Front. One, I just figured they'd give it to Tar Elvis. I figured they would win one of those. Gotcha. Uh, they didn't. Uh, best makeup and hairstyling that went to the well. Um, I kind of thought that one would go to Elvis for all quiet. Um, I chose all quiet. You chose Elvis. Uh, costume design, Black Panther, stupid. Uh, editing, we talked about that one. Production design, talked about that one. So that's your award show. Wow. Pretty controversial, not. Yeah, for me. I, I mean, um, I did not enjoy because I was angry. I did not enjoy it like I wanted to. I felt like I needed to go slap somebody. <laughs> I was pretty pissed off. You didn't have a crisis. I didn't uh, have a team in your. No, I did not have a crisis team ready for me. Oh well, I didn't. I didn't hate it. I did. I just thought it was buttoned up, and you know, I thought some of the presentations were overall uh, entertaining or not inter- informative. Um, Hugh Grant's presentation was probably my fa- my favorite. Yep, the lotion good. lotion comment was the best. Yeah, and was John Travolta really crying as he acted? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, I for- I forget her name, but Olivia, uh, what's her name from Greece? Newton John. Yeah, Olivia Newton John. Yes, yeah. sorry. Um, yeah, I definitely think he was he was crying. Um, the and thought, Harrison, did, the Harrison, thought did cross my mind. Harrison though. Ford and Kiwi's hug was pretty wholesome. I love that. That should have been the biggest. Uh, flag that we knew that everything everywhere was winning i know i knew when harrison ford yeah. I, I knew and i was just bracing myself <laughs> and like i i, I want to reiterate one more time i mean i don't know i know we don't have a huge listening base but not yet not yet but thanks for the ones who do people listen. will be going back and listening though yeah and they'll be Whenever they'll cancel big. me immediately yeah um which is fine i don't care here's the thing everything ever all at once i love that movie i love the daniels and i love jamie lee curtis like those are some like all some all time favorite people were associated in this film. Yeah, and no one no one can't not love Kiwi. Like amazing. Yeah. Um, but to me, just from you know, I guess from I'm just more of a classic perspective here, and coming from somebody who's thirty, I'm young, right? Or in relative to the Oscars, mm-hmm. like it just feels like they broke the mold, and to me, it just wasn't in the best way. Like I don't want movies like. I don't want this to be the future of what's nominated for an Oscar. You, mean you don't want Barbie to win Best Picture next no, year? No, I sure don't. I don't. 
Um, I mean, I haven't seen it. I could yeah. change my mind, but based on what I've seen off of it, no, I don't. I don't. It just doesn't fit what historically is nominated for a best picture. I understand. And everything everyone just didn't fit that for me. I don't give a shit about the ethnicity of the people on the damn screen. <laughs> yeah. And the problem that the discourse of this is everybody who's even some people who are pointing it out just like I am, they're being labeled as a misogynist or sexist or classist. Like, I don't care about that. I just, to me, it just doesn't fit the historical narrative of Best Picture, which it, I've heard that argument made like, that's because you're, you're, you're racist. You well, like how things they were, white supremacy, yeah, baby. I, no. I hear what you say. And I do believe that, like, if we are to award these type of categories, like all, all that stuff, then yeah, you should be able to look past that. Um, I think there comes a point, though, where even if it does feel like a forced change, a change has to be made so that. That's what I'm saying. I hope that if this is the case, I hope this isn't a one year thing. Yeah. Because it's going to look back to me. It'll tarnish this even further. Like if this was a one time weird movie made it in there. The fact that they're the the fact that Kiwi Guan has has a is only the second Asian uh, winner for best supporting actress like that's. That's surprising to me, um, Michelle Yao. Like, how's it surprising? I'm, I, I mean, I, I'm saying from my, I mean, I've seen thousands of movies, and well, I'm the, not sure. Yeah, the fact that there would not be more uh, Asian actors well, part in of those the, roles. Part of the problem is, is the exposure. That's not the Academy's fault. If it's the same movies yeah. nobody's seen, then yeah, which, which is saying it's, it's, it starts at the top. It starts with production companies green lighting movies right, that but that's not, highlight these types of that's people. not our fault yeah and that, it should change like decision yeah. to leave should have been nominated i yeah decision totally to leave should have been nominated i mean decision to leave arguably to me should have won best picture of everything everywhere all at once you know <laughs> be personal with me really yeah did i do i think everything everyone wants is more fun do i enjoy the movie more absolutely is it a yeah. better quality film than decision to leave no in terms of what i consider an oscar worthy film decision to leave was better and it had definitely had better Asian American performances by a landslide. Actually, those are Korean, but yeah. still, you know what I mean. I don't know, bro. Like, I don't know. Then you got Parasite. Parasite did a lot to bring that stuff to it. Won Best Picture, didn't it? It did. It, it won Best International and Best Picture, I believe. Yes. Um. So that was great. I, I think they're in the right spot, and it's getting more spotlight. And like, yeah. international think- films are starting to get more love. Like. But the fact that All Quiet on the Western Front's a foreign film and got nominated for Best Picture, you're seeing that more and more, which yeah, is fantastic. You we'll always have that. You that, that's kind of been that it kind of is a theme, a trend uh, lately. Trend, yeah. um, and that's good because they they are deserving yeah, of that. But with everything everywhere, I think the the big hype behind the uh, the choice for this is that it is an American film, um, mm-hmm. and so that's kind of like a quote unquote victory yeah um, and, and maybe it is an exposure thing. i can't think of any asian actors who have been in oscar worthy performances for me yeah personally can you no i mean i, and I don't mean this this is gonna sound stereotypical but it's all my exposure growing up jackie chan's really the yeah, main and person that's, and that's the stigma that is trying to that right. is trying to and be it should be broke it should yeah. be absolutely gro- i think michelle Yao probably should have been nominated for stuff before now i've seen her in some great movies but i just think i think this was a publicity award show t- last night or Sunday night mm-hmm. and I have a problem with that personally I think it tarnishes some of the reputation going forward but well, we'll see and now that's yet to be seen yeah I'll, I know we had plans for the rest of this mm-hmm. but I know we've already went long on time so how are where are we now going on to oh dang yeah. so what I say is mm-hmm. since we've 
had our, you know, 95th Oscars talk. Yeah, we can do more next week now. Let's let's take some time to think about what we mm-hmm. had planned for the rest and have some time to think about our predictions for okay. best pictures. Can for, we still draft? Yeah, no, def- we're let's definitely draft. doing a draft. Okay, let's draft. So yes. that way we can keep track of it. So even... Uh, I meant draft next week, not today. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So... I say we do that. We wrap this up. and So question for the audience. Yeah. So they have something to look forward to. Are we drafting best now that we have a week to prepare? Are we going to draft best picture and best director or best no, picture? Best, just, just best, best picture. picture next week. Yeah. Okay. So it gives me time to watch, study, and prepare. Yeah. yeah. So, you, you do all you want. I'm, I'm going, a, with, I'm I'm going be, with my gut. I'm, I'm going to be... Well, I made, a, I made a list on Letterboxd. 96 best picture. 96 Oscar Best Picture, mostly film predictions. Okay. So I got yeah, yeah. Uh, 24 films on there so far. On yours or mostly film? On mine. Okay. Yeah, I don't yeah. have mostly film logged onto the app. I have them on the okay. web. Yeah. Because uh, I don't remember my password for my letterbox, <laughs> my personal letterbox. So I don't want to jack that up. Listen, Joaquin Phoenix has got like three movies coming out this next year. Yeah. And Napoleon. A lot of people do. Napoleon. Like, I'm just excited that Jonathan Majors is going to be getting to go up against Joaquin Phoenix I, and Leonardo DiCaprio and Willem Dafoe. It's going to be great. I doubt Napoleon. No, Napoleon is... Joaquin and Ridley Scott. Yeah. I don't know. That's Oscar bait, too. With Paul Mescal? Uh, Napoleon. No. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm I'm an idiot. Forget it. Yeah, uh, no, not that you're an idiot. Yeah, Ridley Scott, Napoleon, 150 minutes. Yeah. I'm very excited about this. Uh, but it's not going to be my first draft pick, though. No way. But anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. And like Cillian Murphy, I hope he gets a nomination. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. So <laughs> the draft for the best picture, that's 10 movies because they're just keeping yep. it at 10. But best actor, you know, when we start we getting could add those, on that, we could, we could, we could, uh, sprinkle that in later down the line whenever we've had a chance to see more movies mm-hmm. um so well, that's, no that's the more fun part of it we <laughs> just we just go blind like hey here, based on the prince based on the premise alone who's gonna win yeah or who's gonna get a nomination not who's gonna win who's gonna get a nomination no yeah nomination so, um so anyway yeah so next week we have next thursday fear and loathing in las vegas interview mm-hmm. and brothers grim interview and we'll do our best pictures of the 96 Oscars yeah, predictions and draft. It's going to be great. So, uh, two burps in the night. Your stomach's growling. Yeah. I'm burping. I feel a shower coming on with a, maybe that vanilla pudding I did This eat. late? Yeah, yeah. Bro, dude, I take a shower like every night before I go to bed. I'm like a two, three shower a day guy. I'm a morning shower guy. No, I'm too. I can't. People who don't, I've been a retail manager my whole life yeah. for like, ten, well, my whole life from a career 10 years I've been yeah. a store manager. And, uh, People who don't take showers in the morning to start the day. I mean, I'm not saying you wake up, go straight to the shower before you like leave the house. Yeah. Freak me out. So you, you shower before you leave the house? Oh, the moment I get out of bed. Yeah. I, I get out of bed. I take a piss. And it depends on how urgent it is. Because <laughs> we'll also have a closing no, thought. Yeah, we don't no, need no, to. closing thought here. This is important. This is oh, important God. for the listeners. Uh, when you take a, a shower with the water running is a toilet. Yes. But only for piss. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, okay. This is the, no, but here's the real question. Unless you're stopping it. No, this is important. Seriously, this is important. When you pee in the shower, you only pee in the shower, like, while you're in the shower with the water running, right? Like, you don't just, like, if the toilet's right no, here. No, I don't just pee in a bucket. No, no, like, if the toilet's right here and the shower's right here, 
Do I? Do you don't just pee do over I the parkour? Si- <laughs> no, like you don't just stand in front of the shower and then pee in the shower with the toilet right there and walk away, right? I mean, that would ta- that would that would classify as peeing in the shower. Yes, but like when uh, when I say pee in the shower, I'm peeing in the shower with the water running. Like I am in the shower taking a piss. Yes, I don't just like choose like, hey, do I want to piss in the toilet or shower right now? Like I say, I'm like eating dinner with friends. Like I'm at their house. I'm like, <laughs> am I gonna piss in the shower? Am I gonna piss in the toilet? <laughs> Like that's not an option for you, right? Like you don't, you're not ever at your house. Just like you know what, I don't want to pee in the toilet right now. I'm gonna pee in the shower when the water's not running. But the water, like you have no intention of taking a shower. Like you just, <laughs> so you're just using it as a urinal. Yes, you don't do that, right? Because <laughs> no. I have a friend who does that. Okay, I'm she go- does it. <laughs> he does that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, he pisses in the shower, and like sometimes he was complaining. Does to me he at about least it. take his shoes off, or does he leave his shoes on? Probably shoes are off, I guess. Like just rolling around the house, <laughs> like oh, I gotta take a piss, piss in the shower. And he he was complaining to me. He's like, man, does Abby ever get mad that you leave like some pee stains on the shower? And I was like, what? what? He's like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, like sometimes I'll go pee, and there's like pee stains on like the side of the shower, like I guess like a tub shower combo, you know? Yeah. And I was like. Wait, what do you mean you have pee stains on the tub? And he's like, yeah, like I go and pee. And I was like, like in the shower. And he's like, no, I pee in the shower, but I'm like standing outside the shower. Like, That's stupid. What just, is the point? He goes, I don't have to flush. I was like, then piss just sits in the bottom of the shower. <laughs> <laughs> bro. Like, what? You're but, telling me off air who this is. Yeah. Yeah. And then, because <laughs> I bet. And then the craziest thing is, I Googled it. It's more common than you think. Oh, no. <laughs> I know. So now I'm like scared anytime I ever go take a shower at somebody's place. Like, <laughs> are you peeking? Are you I'm like looking real hard. Is there a yellow tent down here on the ground? Do I need to run this with water first? <laughs> oh. So, yeah. So y'all are welcome for the bonus content here. <laughs> this is a uh, this uh, is great time. I'm, listen, I'll admit the thought. I'm not going to say the thought has not crossed my mind, but I'm always brought back to the reality of that's stupid. Why would I do that? Yeah. Well, the one in our, in our master bathroom, our, we, we have a, like a jacuzzi tub, so I'm not going to pee in there. No, yeah. Well, first of all, it's like need high. So I'd have to like, yes. it'd be a problem. So yeah. our shower in there is like a ground shower. Like it's not like a bath, but there are yeah. guest bathrooms are both, you know, tub showers. And like, I got to pee in those. No. And I'm only going to pee if the shower's running. And even sometimes I'll just still pee in the toilet. Like, I don't know. I just, I'm just the, I'm just a sophisticated person. Yeah. Um, you ever used a bidet? Uh, no, but I have I have people in my life that speak very highly of them. Anyway, this has been <laughs> the twentieth episode. Uh, mostly, mostly toilets. Mo- yeah, mo- mo- mostly bidets. Uh, if you ever want to find us, you can find us on Twitter at underscore mostly film, and that goes for all of our social medias: Instagram and Letterboxd as well, and TikTok. Now, granted. I have been first admit I'm terrible at keeping up with them, but I will be better. I promise. Just because we got wait in anticipation. Yes. One day it's like, oh my gosh, there's all sorts of stuff here. Because I'm telling you, next year we're going to be invited to South by Southwest and Canes and all that stuff. It's going to be a great time. So thank you all for listening to us. This has been uh, Mostly Film, the one-stop chaotic shop for all of your film needs. Uh, does I say that right? I don't know. It's <laughs> new, new to me. Throwing up with this. Yeah, uh, this has been your one stop. This has been mostly film your one stop shop. One stop. <laughs> <laughs> this has been your one stop chaotic shop for all things in the world of film. You know, like your hair, so make sure you <laughs> subscribe and never miss an episode, and leave us a nice little review, and let us know if you piss in the shower or not. That's the most important thing. That is right now. 
So uh, thank you guys. This is Jonathan and JP signing off. See y'all next week. See ya. Bye.